I've seen you train. It scares the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Human growth hormone. Benefits are purported to be increased exercise capacity, bone density, increased muscle mass, decreased body fat. I will go on record for saying to use or not to use, unless you're competing in bodybuilding, don't use. I would never diss science. Science is great, but... About 2015, it's the Expendables 3. Harrison Ford was 71. Sylvester Stallone, 67. Schwarzenegger, Arnie, 66. Now, there's a few others as well. They are all so lean, so jacked. Are they tapping the fountain of youth? I'd say at their ages, they'd at least be on hormone replacement therapy, those guys. But Joe Rogan has openly spoken about peptides and testosterone and growth hormone on his podcast, and he gets guests on, whereas in Australia, we don't. And I think we need to be educated about this. He said, I can't wait to get home. I'll have a new jungle cat. So I cut a piece of his brain out, took it down to the lab, and they're cloning him. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just down the street. I'm like, you got labs down the street that clone your pets? That Then that was back in 2005 in the US. I think they're so far advanced with things that we have no idea. But my teenage years were very, very challenging. Ultimately, until I found bodybuilding, really. It saved me. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Before we start this interview, a quick disclaimer. I want to be really clear when I work in the world of elite sport as a mental skills coach and having come through sport as a strength and conditioning coach, there is a guideline, a charter, a set of ethics where people do not take any substances to accelerate performance. And if they do, that's called illegal and they get kicked out of the sport. In my world as a coach and exploring science with Dr. Tom Buckley and this whole concept of performance intelligence, we want to bring information to you from a curious point of view. And that's where I sit in this interview, not with my hat as a mental skills coach in elite sport, but as someone who is curious, pulling on the thread, especially in sports like bodybuilding, where they have permission to take external substances to accelerate muscle growth. So this interview is done purely from that angle of curiosity. Hi, I'm Nick Jones. This is a disclaimer to let you know, I do not condone the use of anabolic steroids or performance enhancing drugs. However, I did feel comfortable to talk with Maisie, with Andrew May, on such a great podcast because I do see a lot of misuse of these substances and I think it is a topic that really does need to be discussed and understood somewhat. I'm comfortable to share my experience and my knowledge on the topic, but certainly if you can build and you can build a great physique, perform and recover without the use of anabolics, I believe it is a better, more sustainable, healthier way to go about your bodybuilding lifestyle. Get educated, get a healthcare professional, do your blood work, be very, very mindful of your health, be healthy, be strong, and have a great life. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the Performance Intelligence Podcast. In fact, it's a very special episode. It's the fifth most downloaded episode of the year. And I've got to give a context. This was only recorded towards the back end of the year. So in the past quarter, this has been by far the most downloaded episode. And that episode is The Science of Building Muscle and Staying Lean. And everything you wanted to know about steroids, peptides, and human growth hormone, that was with Nick Jones. Sorry, correction, that was with the current IFBB, Mr. Universe Australia, <laughs> Nick Jones. Welcome back to the studio, mate. 
Very good. Great intro. Thanks, mate. Great to be back. Always a pleasure, Andrew. Well, there was an open loop because when we recorded that, you only had a few weeks in the countdown to the mm. IFBB, Mr. Universe, and you won. Crazy. Crazy. Well, well, what a great rap for you, mate, at your youthful age. You're only halfway there on a 100-year life. But all the stuff you spoke about, then go out there and put yourself in competing against guys half your age. And, mate, you smash it. You looked ridiculous. So for anyone, go and check out Nick's Instagram account. We'll put the link up on the show notes. But the, 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 the physique, the, the level of tone and muscle mass, mate, unbelievable. Uh, thanks, Andrew. You know, the, the most amazing thing to me about the whole process was at 52, running the same nutrition plan, the supplement plan, the training programs, pretty much running the same as always have. You, you always tweak and think you can do things a little better, but they're all basic protocols that you put in place and stick to day in, day out. But my body responded pretty much like it always has at 52. So that was a really nice thing. And, and that was a really interesting thing for me was to see if that was the case at 52. You know, can we still build muscle, lose fat, and transform the physique over that sort of five-month period and to that, to that extreme level. And i got to say, Andrew, i got to say something else that surprised me. I, I You know, the, I'm getting a lot of comments and I've had a lot of comments on the extreme level of my conditioning. Possibly it was my best conditioning of career. My career, maybe not, but it was right up there, no doubt. And I felt as though I didn't go as hard as I used to. I certainly didn't go as hard with the supplementation side of things i certainly didn't train as heavy um you know getting a bit older we talked about it last time i trained with a little bit more volume still with a with a, a crazy intensity but a slightly shorter rest between sets so the loads that i'm lifting i'm not squatting 200 kilos plus anymore you know the most i did i think was 140 160 for about 10 repetitions so again you know just that crazy intensity but the consistency of the training the, uh, the cardio upon rising, the supplementation, and the nutrition, and the body responded as good as it ever has, which was really nice to know. I'd love to say that, Wizard. Oh, this morning I still went hard. I did 160. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> good man, Maisie. Good man. <laughs> hey, uh, the overwhelming feedback we've had, I'll put into three categories, and we, we knew that this was going to create some conversation. And you were nervous. Can we can we talk about your nervousness before I talk about the overwhelming feedback? Because it's made it's all it's all very positive, but uh, we didn't want to talk about this too much at the start of the interview. We wanted to get into it, but now we've played it. Now you've hit our top five. It's the top podcast of the last quarter. You were nervous. Yeah, oh, absolutely, mate. You know why? There's there's so much more to the bodybuilding lifestyle. There's so much more to me and my bodybuilding success. Uh, and there, there's, you know, so many more important factors in creating a great physique, maintaining muscle or building muscle and losing body fat. There's so many more important factors than performance enhancing drugs. And the thing that always worries me, particularly in this country, is as soon as you start talking about that, it's the easy out for most people to say, oh, he looks like that. Oh, he can only do that. He only looks like that because he uses performance enhancing drugs. And I don't cycle performance-enhancing drugs to build muscle. I don't do that these days. And I was really worried that that was sort of going to be the cop-out and that was going to be the main focus. And I was worried that that's why we we're going to get the listeners, you know, because that was, you know, I'm probably click, one of the first bait. to talk about that. You know, it's, yeah, mm. it's clickbait, right? But 
So that was really my concern, Andrew, that everybody writes you off because of that. But there's so much more to it in understanding the science, but putting in the work and having the discipline. And, and mate, that's what it takes. It's not, there's no magic pill. There's no magic steroid. There's no magic supplement. You know, it's the same as building a great company. There are no bloody shortcuts to it. And if you give someone an inkling, you know, with no disrespect, especially someone that's a bit undisciplined and a bit lazy, if you give them an inkling that there's a shortcut and an easy way, they will say that's why he achieved the success. And it's and it's absolutely not, you know, and that's not a cop-out. It's absolutely not. I've I've competed in and won the, the biggest natural bodybuilding contest in the world. You know, I won the world championship at Muscle Mania in Los Angeles, actually, in 2006 at uh, – Universal Studios in the Fear Factor Hall. It was. It was a great contest, but it was a full drug tested world championships, the biggest one in the world. I won that in 06. So, you know, the 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 protocols and what it takes to build a great physique come down to consistency and discipline with your training and nutrition over and above everything else. For the athletes and bodybuilders that use performance enhancing drugs, that's just the icing on the cake, mate. It gives them a sort of an extra 5% advantage. And you're underselling, you're underselling one thing as well, mate. It's 35 plus years of lifting. So interesting when you said yep. you didn't have to lift as heavy, you didn't have to go as hard. There's muscle memory. In fact, muscle memory is incorrect. It's Absolutely. nervous system memory. So you have this recall when you go and do it again, your body goes, ha, huh, I know how to do that. So, hey, here's the three big bits of feedback, collective batches. Number one was that bodybuilder lifestyle in lifting, in eating clean, in steps. I think that surprised a lot of people and it really really aligned with the message Dr. Tom and I had in Match Fit and where we're going with our new book that we're working on next year, Performance Intelligence. It was that, that healthy, active lifestyle, getting plenty of sleep. So that was a big tick on that. Got lots of feedback. Yeah. The Great. other one was science. I have had a lot of people in the field, some sports scientists who work in strength and conditioning in sport, who really liked that we had the discussion. And you know, my nervousness was, hey, I work as a mental skills and leadership coach at Manly Seagulls. I've just started working with New South Wales Waratahs. I work with a bunch of other athletes. I didn't want to be seen either just saying, hey, the only way to get ahead is to take performance enhancing drugs. But I actually really appreciated getting some feedback from some S&C, some strength and conditioning coaches they thought we got a really nice balance mate and i wanted to play that back to you as well that they totally respect i had a few people go fuck that guy's level of science just puts me to shame and and it wasn't with ego yes you tinker you toil you experiment and that came through mate so it was the the bodybuilder lifestyle number one number two was the science and the rigor that went to the work you do. And, and, and that gave people a real level of comfort that this wasn't just some guy who'd made this up. And the third one, it was the candid discussion about performance enhancing drugs and the difference between steroids and peptides and human growth hormone. And in fact, a guy that I cycle with, in, I need to correct that. I, I've been, remember when you watched Melrose Place and they had all the cast and then special guest, Heather Locklear, and she made special guest appearances. They've been saying, a special guest to my own cycling school squad that Mick and I started years ago, my attendance has been horrible. So the cycle squad that I started that I come frequently in case any of the guys listen, because a few of them do, they told me. Anyway, Kari said to me on Friday, every year we have what we call our world champs, which is a five lap race of Centennial Park. And at the end of world champs, we're all lactic, you know, 
throats heaving. And he said, mate, I've been loving your podcast. And, and, and it's hard to say that to, to one of your friends, right? Because you, you, you used to bagging them. And I said, oh, Kari, thank you, mate. I said, uh, what, what episode or what episodes uh, did really talk to you? He said, that one with Nick Jones. Straight away, he knew your name. He said, I've always wanted to know about that and the whole fountain of youth. And I said, so what did you take out of that? He said, it was a bodybuilder lifestyle and just the amount of science that that guy has. So really interesting, out of those three parts, he said it was the bodybuilder lifestyle, the science. And then he said it actually made him think that, yeah, he can see that the utility when people are doing like you're competing and the difference he really liked between the three. But what he said, which I liked, he said, but I can see that if you just do the bodybuilder lifestyle, you don't need to take the exogenous substances. And that was one of the messages that you wanted to, I wanted to play that back to you, mate. Oh, that's so refreshing. I'm real. you know how happy I am to hear that, Maisie? I'm so, so happy to hear that because that is the truth. Absolute truth. That's it. He, He got it. He got it. Hmm. I know I knew you'd like that. So there you go, Kari. Shout out for listening, mate, and shout out to Big Nick because that's the message he wanted. Hey, that's the feedback I've received. Oh, one other bit of feedback. This is N equals one. At the end of the podcast, I said, you've totally, totally energized me. I'm going to go and do weights. Wiz, do you remember the next day what I said to you? I don't know if you said much more than how I can't move. Oh, I sat down as like I just, yeah. (laughs) had a, a rendezvous with an elephant. I just, every part, <laughs> no. every part of me hurt. So, no. mate, you've dialed up my intensity. What what feedback have you had? I'm really, um, really curious to know this. I had a little bit of feedback. I mean, the, the two friends that got back to me, Mark was one of them from Performance Sports Nutrition. He loved it. He loved it. And again, he he loved the part, he loved the honesty and the transparency about the performance and uh, performance enhancing drugs. He He loved that about it. I mean, he understands a lot of what I was talking about. He also enjoyed hearing about my background because I don't, I don't know, you don't really talk about it that much. You know, I do business with Mark and we get along well like mates, but we don't sort of spend enough time knowing about each other's background. So he enjoyed those two things out of it the most. Another good friend of mine, again, they don't really know about my background because I don't, I don't talk about it much, the violence and the housing commission and, and coming from all of that because it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that you don't, focus on you just sort of keep moving forward but when you do reflect you're like huh and and i don't know mate i i i get uh, quite melancholy with stuff like this i had a i had a, a colleague who used to train years ago he was a jockey god bless him he just bloody took his own life over in perth so i only heard about it two days ago so it's quite fresh and he was one of the original guys and one of the young guys that jumped on all of that stuff well before i did but he was a bit of a risk taker he was a very special soul, and um, he actually, mate, he mentioned it to me. We would communicate over Messenger. I haven't seen Stevie Lynn for, oh, mate, probably 30 years, but he watched my journey because we were, you know, training at the same gym when we were 17, 18, and, and uh, he's sort of watched my journey over the years and would always drop me a message and say how proud he is of me. And, and you know, he knew my background because we was from a similar area. He used to I was in, in housing commission at Morpherville and he was track riding the uh, the horses at Morpherville Racecourse early mornings, you know. Um, God bless him. And he um, got into bodybuilding and jumped on the juice and put a lot of size on. And, yeah, he stayed in touch and he, he loved it. I think, again, he, he loved all of it. He loved the story because he knew the story and he loved the transparency as well. And, again, he was a guy that said, I wish I had have known all of this information before I jumped on all that stuff back then. But again, 
it's like um, it's like a successful businessman at 50 years of age having created and sold a couple of companies. And, you know, he turns around and goes, I wish I had have known what I knew now when I was 21. It just doesn't bloody work that way with life. If you, when you're young, you're not meant to know everything. And, and the knowledge that we get at this age, we get through experience, we get through making mistakes. There's a certain amount of science and information we can read and take on board, but we still have to put things into practice for us and make the mistakes and go through the hardships to really learn. So, so my, the feedback I had was, was um, pretty consistent in they, they liked the transparency about the performance enhancing stuff, but they liked hearing about my background story as well. So mm. that was nice. And, and, and sorry to hear that about Stevie. So sending a big shout out to him. Yeah, and as we're heading friends. into to yeah. Christmas, uh, no man, no woman is an island. So if you are listening to this and you're struggling, oh, please reach out. Reach out to someone you know. Go get some support. There's some wonderful agencies 100%. out there as well to help you. So, Who, no who's man. good out there, Andrew? While we're on this topic, really quickly, who's good? Because I was thinking of doing something through Gentech and donating to Beyond Blue, but I don't know. Do you know any, any um, good support groups for these people in this? Kind of situation. Yeah, well, I'm thinking there's a couple. They obviously got Lifeline. They got Beyond Blue, and we're doing the number four podcast after our discussion as well, which is with David Eccles and Ty Canelli from W Now when no one's watching. And they're a wonderful group, mate. Four men, and they've now got chapters around Australia. And Dave is going to explain that in the podcast as a result of the discussion. It's led to them starting a whole bunch of chapters around Australia. So they're a couple, mate. We can put all those in the show notes as well, and we'll send those to you personally. When no one's watching, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's a really good one. One other bit of feedback I've had is from Shannon, who you've met, my wonderful AA. Uh, Shannon is on holidays when she listens to this, and Shannon said to me, hey, this is now Monday morning. We do a meeting every Monday. Where's, you know, Shannon's lovely South African accent. Hey, uh, you have a lot of different followers, Andy, and they look a little bit different to you. And she did it so delicately. And we looked on Instagram. After this podcast dropped, I had 70 or 80 new followers who'd come from Nick Jones. And they oh, were really? all freaking jacked. They- <laughs> How good. How good. <laughs> they were, the bodybuilders, like they had the tight shirts, the shaved heads. Those of them that had hair were probably, uh, they all looked fit. They were living the Nick Jones healthy lifestyle backed in How science. Good. And you know the thing that that I like to hear I like to hear about that is again like me a lot of these guys that live the bodybuilding lifestyle it's not just about building a great physique they want to perform spiritually and mentally and emotionally as well so they'd be looking at your podcast thinking this is this is a good resource for me to grow personally and develop personally not just physically they got that covered so that's really cool that's very very cool. Yeah, awesome. Hey, we could do. Hey, I'm talking like Shannon. Hey, <laughs> we'll almost do a whole podcast with the podcast. So let's wrap this baby, mate. Want to say thank you, thank you for stepping into a zone that you're a little bit uncomfortable with. But as we find in life, it's those areas when you're on the edges and pushing yourself, challenging yourself, where you sometimes get the biggest outcome. So I've loved the outcome that we've achieved from a business point of view uh, on numbers on this, but I've loved what you and I've achieved having the discussion and just the impact and some of the feedback we've had. So we'll definitely get you on next year, mate. A wonderful Christmas and holiday break to you and your family and big thumbs up, buddy. Thanks, Maisie. You two, all the best. Keep up the great work and Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones as well, mate. All the best. Thanks, buddy. Let's listen to the original podcast with Nick Jones. IFBB, Mr. Universe Australia. Woohoo! <laughs>
Nick Jones has devoted 33 years of his life to nutrition, health, and the art of bodybuilding. His goal is to improve quality of life and enhance performance through superior nutrition, exercise, and specific supplementation. Nick's absolute dedication to the art and science of bodybuilding has resulted in him winning multiple titles, including Mr. Australia, Mr. Australasia, Mr. World, and runner-up in the prestigious Mr. Universe competition. And when I needed to get jacked for a photo shoot for my book, MatchFit, Nick was the go-to guy that worked with me to get me in literally the best aesthetic shape of my life. He is founder and CEO of Gentech, one of Australia's leading supplement manufacturers and suppliers. And with his three children and Greek wife, Angela, Nick lives near Cronulla Beach, which is known in Australia as God's country. <laughs> Nick, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Andrew. It's, it's great to be here. I'm really excited, to be honest. Well, it's good to catch up. We yeah. first met each other about four years ago. And context for our listeners, I was working with a publisher doing a book, Match Fit, which was about coming back for me after a marriage breakdown, my health, physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, everything was on the rails. And I thought I was looking okay. You know, I got myself going back, writing the book, deal with the publisher. And the publishing agent said, Andrew, we need you to get some photos. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But we need you to get jacked. Like, we need you to get really fit. And I'm like, oh, shit, I thought I was doing all right. So a mutual friend of ours, Dan Bradley, I said, yes. hey, Dan, I've got to do some work. He said, well, I'll work with you and with Nick. And that's when we first met. And you totally opened my mind up to this bodybuilder lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, it was a great challenge because I think we only had about six weeks. Oh, that's the other kicker. Yeah, six weeks. Six weeks. And you were doing like uh, 200Ks a week on the bike. Would that be right? Yeah, I was. And I said to you, how can I keep up this cardio? And I knew the answer, mate. I studied yeah. exercise fizz. Yeah. How can I keep up high levels of cardio, which I know is catabolic, and put on muscle? And you looked at me and said, you fucking can't. You just can't. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't. Try to buy, yeah, put the bike in the shed for six weeks and let's get into the weight room and change the diet. And, and obviously the diet that I wrote for you was much higher in protein than what the dietitians and so forth had ever seen that you were working with at the time. And when you called me and gave me some feedback and said, oh, the guys that I work with said, nah, it's far too high in protein. This is not a good diet for you. And I thought, bingo, bingo. this is what happens every time. And the dietitians in Australia, God bless them, they're brilliant people and do some great uh, research and great study. But Body recomposition is different, and body recomposition is building muscle and losing body fat. And it is a science, and uh, I, I would say relatively, uh, as opposed to training and exercise, the nutrition makes up the biggest proponent of changing your body composition. You, you could have been a little bit more upfront back then when I rang you, because I did. The nutritionist I'd been working with, she said, oh, it's way too much, and what's it going to do for your liver and your kidneys? Mm. And I rang you. What you should have said is, mate, look at me, look at you, just listen. <laughs> <laughs> you said that to me. No. You, said, you said, I trust this guy. You should see him. No, well, I trust him. I'm going to do this. Look, look at you. And for people who are watching this now, we're on YouTube, and we'll do some social media clips as well. Great. Body fat for you at the moment. I think this is really good good positioning. Like the guy we're going to talk to today about staying lean and building muscle, you're in your- I'm 52 this year. 52? I've been training since I was 15. Well, I was 10. You, you dug up that information. I started training with a broomstick and bricks at 10 years of age, but I've never really stopped training. I love the training. It's as much for my mind and spirit as it is for my muscles. The muscles are just a cool side effect, but, but it's a great uh, stress relief and form of therapy for me that I've never stopped doing. So, um, But at the moment, my body fat's probably in the single figures because, to be honest, I've started getting ready for a contest. 
said, this will be my last one. I said to my wife, my last one, my little boy really wants you me to compete. You sound like John Farnham. This is it, this Jack's is back. <laughs> this is my last tour. Nick Jones, last, last, <laughs> Mr. Australasia, Mr. World. Sure. I sound like that old boxer too, don't I? I've got one more. I have one more in me. But seriously, I, yeah, I think this will be it because the the responsibilities of life these days with three young children and and, uh, and the company and to be a selfish bodybuilder doesn't really work. So I'm, I'm approaching the contest very differently to what I used to when I was young and single, and but it's working. So I'm about nine percent body fat, about eighty eight kilograms. Hmm. Yeah, and at the fully moment. jacked. Like I, I, I normally feel quite fit when I catch up with you. You are fit. My shoulders hunch. My, my posture goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go Come and do on. a lot more curls. Come on, I'm winding Come you up, on. big fella. I'm winding up. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note, I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know you probably hear this on so many other podcasts and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now let's get on to this week's guest. So rough frame for today. Number one, your background story and in getting into bodybuilding. As you mentioned when we had a coffee before, we dig we did dig up some info and I want to go through that. Fascinating your your childhood. It's what I love about a podcast. You really get to know people. Two, the discipline required to win Mr. Australia, Mr. Australasia, and multiple Mr. World titles. I then want to get into the science of building muscle. Let's yes. talk about like how do you build muscle. Do you know how many of my male middle-aged clients want to be more ripped, more jacked, put on a bit of muscle? There's so much myth information about it. So mm. I want to get it from you. Absolutely. What's the best way for people to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. And what do you reckon? 99% of them want to look better naked. That's what we're talking about. Body recomposition, look better naked. Yeah, I'm going to start asking that. 99%. <laughs> I'll come back. <laughs> no, number four, with your permission, we're going to go and talk about a topic that I think needs to be talked about a lot more. If we were in America and this was Joe Rogan, hey, Joe Rogan, I'd be earning a lot more money, my head would be a bit shinier, but we'd openly talk about the fountain of youth, about peptides, about human growth hormone, about mm, steroids. Absolutely. So with your permission and underscore, you're going to listen back to this to make sure you're happy with it, but let's sure. talk about that. Sure. I'm asked that so often, and my, my knowledge is better than the average person. Absolutely. But hands up, still, it's such a, an area I don't know a lot about. I'm going to talk to you about a movie I saw that just made me think, oh, these actors, they're doing something that the rest of us are. Absolutely are. Five, your entrepreneurial journey. Yes. I want to talk about that. And six, performance uncovered. And we'll sort of wrap around and dance in between. So let's start with number one. Great. Growing up in a housing estate in Adelaide. Mm. I mean, I wasn't in housing commission till I was 15, to be honest. We lived in little units and and whatever mum could afford because mum and dad split – when I was born in the UK, we came out when I was 18 months, mum, dad, my older brother, Chris, is 18 months older. It was at about, uh, I would have been four years of age. They were obviously having a bit of trouble, mum and dad. So mum took Chris and I, my brother, to the US for a year. Her, uh, and I've got such fond memories of the US. We I did my first year of school in Washington, DC, because we lived with uh, mum's sister, my auntie, and her husband, my uncle Sean, and, and, uh, and their young children. So I... I always loved being around other kids and big families, and I loved it. I, you know, and that was the first taste I got of having family around, because we didn't have any. So it wasn't long after that year in the US we came back. Mum and Dad split, and we, yeah, we lived in little units that Mum could afford to rent. Uh, she did beauty therapy, and she, because Chris and I were so young, she had set up her bedroom as a studio 
for electrolysis and waxing and all that sort of thing. And and she used to sleep on the couch. So mum did a pretty tough single parent, all of the bills, all of the responsibility, two young boys in a country with no support, no family. At least it was English speaking, unlike my in-laws, you know, they're Greek, off the boat Greek. But uh, so mum did a pretty tough and, and applied for housing commission. But we didn't get in for many years. To be honest, when we finally did, like I, I had a, I had an upbringing that I was always pretty happy. You know, I was always a happy kid, and you know, it only came up recently that self-esteem gets knocked. And I, you know, you think you deal with all this personal stuff over the years. You get counselling and work on personal development, and you think you deal with a lot of your shit over so many years. I'm 52 now, and then it just started to you know, bite me in the ass again fairly recently, Andrew, and I was talking to... Um, because of kids? Do you think it's through your kids you manifest or you live yeah, this out, you go back? that's a really good point. I do think you relive your childhood in many, many ways. The wanting to compete in this Mr. Universe contest again, it was, it was like, gee, is it a self-esteem thing? Because a lot of bodybuilding stems from low self-esteem. It just does, whether you like to admit it or not. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons as to why I want to compete, but the self-esteem thing, I only got this perspective recently when you grow up without much, like without much money, without much money, single parent, housing commission, or, or just in little units like we were in initially, you know, I lived in an area where it wasn't a bad area. Uh, it was uh, Camden Park, not far from Glenelg in South Australia. That's, and a, that's a like great area. It's a, yeah, great, yeah. I spent a lot of my childhood at a Glen- Glenelg. Great, yeah, I spent a lot of my time there. I love Glenelg Beach. and. But I guess when the other kids that you go to school with back then, they all had two parents. They all had the latest Adidas. They had the Grey Nichols cricket bat in cricket, and they all had the the Sharon footy. And you know, so they all had a lot, and we didn't. And it, I didn't think it bothered me. But this friend I was talking to, it it does hit your self esteem when you're in this situation. So I guess um, I always thought I really excelled at sport and tried really hard at sport because my dad wasn't around, and I wanted his recognition. It's like, dad, look at me. I'm good, aren't I? That's why I thought I tried so hard and excelled at sport. Even though I was little and small, I was the captain of the footy team, the the captain of the cricket team. And I did quite, and when I say footy, AFL being Adelaide, but that was my upbringing. I really threw myself into sports big time. I loved playing sport. I had plenty of good friends. I, I guess I was relatively popular being the captain of the sports teams. And, and so my childhood was great. My primary school years, were great. There were often times, I think, with all kids where you feel like you don't fit in. You know, I've always had that where I feel like I don't, even though I was popular, you feel a bit different that you don't fit in. Now, now whether that's the single parent situation, your home life's very different to all of those I went to school with, I'm not sure, but, or as a, a little inkling of depression when I was very young, maybe as well, because I see it in, in my family. So did, could, did you realize that then, or is this no. knowing now? So looking knowing back, now, looking hindsight's now. a beautiful thing, yeah. Andrew, as we all know. So, my primary school years ultimately were great, um, especially the last couple. High school was a bit of a different story. wasn't long after going to high school that we moved into housing commission, and I really went off the rails at the age of 15. Really, I mean, really went off the rails. So there were some pretty troubled years, probably from 15 to 18. I got in a lot of trouble with the law. There was a lot of violence. Again, it was... You just that situation, you know, you're in housing commission, it's your reality. You got a lot of anger from your up, but there was a lot of anger that I was saying I was a happy kid. I've read that you said there was a lot of bottled up anger that then came out in those teenage years. It came out in those teenage years, and probably because of the use of drugs and alcohol. That's probably, you know, when you're. 
what is in an orange comes out when it's squeezed is the juice that's inside. And I find, you know, with a lot of people, alcohol, drugs, they really just bring out what's inside. So I got myself in a lot of trouble over those years. So my teenage years were very, very challenging, very, very difficult. Ultimately, uh, without going too deep on it, ultimately until I found bodybuilding, really, it saved me. And I read that you were very close to going to jail at 18. So that's, mm. a, that's a sliding door moment, isn't it? Like you could have gone Absolutely. down a very different path. Knowing you, like a little bit of you, and then digging deep on this, getting to know more of you, some of that surprised me, but some mm. of it didn't. Because mm. ultimate champions, there's a hunger, there's a thirst, or sometimes there's a pain. If you have both, it can be a superpower. Yeah. So obviously one pathway is you go to prison. The other pathway is you unlocked this competitive beast inside yes. that's been going ever since. Yes. What what made you choose the different path? That's, a, that's a great question. I mean, I was up on my fourth assault charge. That's ultimately what it was. I had three assault charges as a, as a juvenile, and this was the first one as an adult. I just turned 18, so I was working in the oil field two weeks on, two weeks off. It's funny because my girlfriend at the time, her dad, her father was the manager up there and he just wanted to get me away from his daughter because I was such a crazy kid. So he got me a job so in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah, he got me out in the middle of the desert two weeks out of every month. So um, God bless him. He's a smart man, very smart, good man, a very good man, very smart man. When I came, uh, when I had to go to court for this assault charge, was just prior to that, Andrew, I was working in the oil field two weeks on, two weeks off, and just so that was South Australia, Moomba, pretty much in the camps around there, just over the border into Queensland. I, I was working, I was well testing. So it's where you run uh, the, the oil well, the oil, pro the well produces oil and gas and water and it comes out of the ground at a wellhead and you run it through a series of pipes and a big vessel called a separator. And so you measure how much oil, gas and water it's producing and you flare off the gas, you burn off the gas and then the oil and water you, you put into a massive tank and you take the readings of that. So because it was flooding, I was out in the middle of nowhere in the desert with one other guy, Canadian guy, great guy, uh, Big Ronnie the Canadian. And I was out in the middle of the desert and there were some times where, I mean, we, we lived in a caravan and there was a generator and, and they're noisy, those jennies, you know, da, 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 all day, all night, but it's quite meditative as well. And there were times where we'd turn it off and it was so quiet in the middle of the desert. And when you live in the city, you don't realize this constant hum and how all of this stuff affects you. It's right. Kids go on camps, city kids go on camps to the bush. Some yeah. of them can't sleep because you know, it's literally yeah, killing them with silence. Because we are so used to subconsciously having that yes. in the traffic. So when there's real stillness, sometimes people go a bit crazy. Yeah. Well, I think it gives you a chance to get to know yourself, get to start listening to your thoughts and realize, start thinking about where those thoughts have come from. Are they you? Are those? So you start, it, it did for me anyway, at that point in time, because I knew I was heading to court for this assault charge. I thought it was the first one. Like I thought they can't bring up my juvenile stuff. Um, but when I, was, when I was out in this caravan, I read an article in a bodybuilding magazine of all places on meditation, in a bodybuilding magazine on meditation. That one article, Andrew, I've got to say, it changed my life. And it sounds crazy to think, 
a bodybuilding magazine changed your life and it was one article on meditation but the guy who had written it was Frank Zane my favorite bodybuilder and Zane was um, Mr. Olympia in the late 70s three years running so he's an extreme he was like he was a monster be- like beautiful physique massive physique be- beautiful physique yeah great physique so he was an extreme physical specimen Frank Zane but he had a degree in experimental psychology so he was very intellectual and he was heavily into Zen Buddhism and meditation so he's a very spiritual man so he really impressed upon me that a bodybuilder could be really well rounded and that article on meditation and starting to practice meditation changed me one of the things I love most in life Nick is challenging stereotypes. Mm. I reckon there's a lot of people listening to this who would think, yeah, guy X, Mr. Australasia, Mr. World, blah, 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 big jacked up beefcake, got no freaking idea about meditation or spirituality. <laughs> but you go deep. Oh, very, yeah. It's like how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Oh, we, 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 we got time. We I've got runway time. Oh, mate. I, I, and I really, it was this hard, it was it was going through, It was that was the spark and that was the fork. That was the fork, I've got to say. So by the time I rocked up to court, and my solicitor said to me, he was a good solicitor actually, he said to me, you need to pay me before we go into court because if you go inside, you're not going to pay me. And I thought, shit, this is real nice. I said to him, no, 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 I'm not going to prison. Look, I said, I've started meditating. I read this out. I started meditating and and I don't fight and I won't be violent anymore. And I, you know, I just, I, I, I'm, I've changed. And he said to me, you'll get plenty of time to meditate in prison. <laughs> this is what my solicitor was saying, like worst case scenario stuff. And when we went to court, my mum was there with her friend and because mum, I used to go to children's court and we'd go to the pub across the road and drink tequila, me and my brother and going to court. It was just, we were wild. We'd, we were absolutely wild. Mum had lost control. But here mum had come to this court case with her friend and I remember standing in the box and one good thing that my solicitor said, he said, go and get some references from people you know that know you, some personal references from people with a standing in the community. So my old boss, my ex-girlfriend's dad, it was an ex-girlfriend by this stage, God bless him. I got one from him. I got one from the closest thing I'd ever had to a stepdad, Bruce, who I was very close to. There was probably four, four or five that I got. The judge took about 10 minutes to read them all top to bottom, page by page, read them all. And so I was standing in the box after I'd been asked a series of questions. But you were standing there literally sweating bullets. I was standing sweating it out in the box while he read these references for five to ten minutes. And he looked at me and he said, uh, I find you guilty of assault, occasioning grievous bodily harm. I, I knocked the guy's teeth out. I sentenced you to 12 months imprisonment. I nearly pissed myself I nearly passed out mum starts bawling in the front row and then he said but I'll suspend it for 18 months on a period of good behavior and I knew what that meant and I was like oh my god what was the gap between the 12 months and then saying suspended he He was messing with me he the judge was messing with me I reckon seemed like an eternity probably three or four seconds he was messing with me Andrew and he could probably see I think I looked in his eyes. I connected with the judge. He could see that I had a good heart. I always did have a good heart. Always. I was never black. I was never black. Yeah, I was angry, but he could see I had a good heart. And he obviously read these quite in-depth personal references. He was messing with me. He didn't want to see me back in there again. So that was a blessing. That was a huge blessing. And that was a fork. So rewind three years before that, you started lifting in the Glenelg Spa and Fitness Centre. I know where that is. <laughs> underneath the footy club. Underneath Glenelg Football Club. And it was back before it was AFL. So it was SANFL, South Australian 
something football league and VFL, Victorian Football League. And so like State of Origin, the South Australians used to play the Vicks once a year in this State of Origin AFL match or Aussie Rules match. I think match. they still play that. Do they? Yeah, yeah, Do yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it used to be a big, huge deal. And uh, so Glenelg was one of the SANFL clubs okay. and the little gym was underneath the footy club. So you started lifting, as you mentioned, some of the tidbits I said over coffee earlier. You got a broomstick and a couple of bricks at 10, but My then you really started lifting at 15. So yes. just sort of just thinking about the physique of you at 18, you were a young man, but you would have been starting to get muscle. Yeah, and I was strong. working in the oil field, so we were working hard physically and I was training up there and eating a bodybuilding diet. So had I have gone to prison... I don't, we wouldn't be sitting here now. I think a fresh-faced 18-year-old kid with a good little physique, I think, would would not have been a good place for me. So I'm, I'm so grateful I found bodybuilding and I found meditation and metaphysics and everything that flowed on from that. It really, did you find bodybuilding or did bodybuilding find you? I wanted a lean, strong, muscular, superhero-looking physique for as long as I can remember, even when I was a little boy. What comics did you read when you were in your- uh, Well, I, we didn't get into the comics, but the, when we could start watching cartoons, when we got a color TV, when we got a color TV, I'm pretty old, so we had this little black and white. He Man was my favorite by a mile. I'm a He Man tragic, Andrew. I've got, I've got original art pieces from from comic artists that are He Man. Do you know who He Man is? Are you you do? Masters of the Universe. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm I'm getting ready for the Mr. Universe contest. I'm doing the Masters category. So there you go. I only just thought about that Ah. then. I could be my own master of the universe in eight and a half weeks. So very different path. Thank goodness you chose it because you've influenced, you are influencing hundreds of thousands of people's lives. But then to start bodybuilding, again, a misnomer a lot of people have. If someone represents Australia in rugby league or they go to the Olympics, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, there's there's more of a clear path or there's more of an understanding. But in the bodybuilding world, I think some people go, oh, they just lift heavy shit. They're just lucky. I know it's different because I've worked with a number of bodybuilders over the years behind the scenes. It's full on, mate. It Mm. is hard. Mm. Like you train – as hard, if not harder, than any athlete. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of athletes that really appreciate bodybuilding. So, I mean, I've got a, a very dear friend of mine quite a celebrated NRL player. He's retired after a couple of years, but very well celebrated, 300-game guy, state of origin player, loves bodybuilding. Our kids go to school together. He comes and trains with me, and I wrote his program, and he loves it. So many athletes... Uh, and working for supplement companies, I always worked with a lot of athletes with supplement programs. They always were intrigued and loved the bodybuilding. And I guess it's they understand the training is hard. Like it's hard for all of us, but we thrive on the hardness of the training. We It's such a big challenge that gets our demons out. It nourishes something deep within us. Even still to this day, the harder I train, the more peaceful I feel. I've seen you train. Scares the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I trained with Danny a couple of times. We had some good workouts. Yeah, we did. Dan workouts. said, uh, mate, come watch the big fella train. And big shout out to Dan Bradley. I need Absolutely. to catch up with Dan. In fact, the three of us will have lunch on me because without good. Dan, I wouldn't be here talking to you. But the first time I saw you train, it's a bit like uh, Tim Zhu, the boxer I work with. Ah. Tim, if we're chatting, he's, hey, yeah, it's like, he's lovely. How are the yeah. kids? He's calm. When he starts wrapping up his hands with the tape to then put on the gloves, his eyes change. Your eyes change. And then it's like your hands, your calloused mitts, get in contact with steel. steel it's like, I love fuck, it. It, 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 it's He-Man. He comes yeah. alive. <laughs> but you, you're a beast. And I it was it. a different intensity mm. to what I see in the gym. 
Yeah, and that's, I guess, um, the, the strange thing is, too, as a semi-professional bodybuilder, I mean, I was a top amateur, um, but I'm semi-professional because I've made it part of my work, we are the only athletes that train with the public. What other professional athlete goes to training around general public? I don't think there would be any that I know of. I'm trying to think. Uh, maybe there's swimmers, maybe people are in the pool, but not yeah, in Yeah, but they lane. have specialist squads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, bodybuilders, elite bodybuilders train in public gyms most of the time, 99.9% of the time. A few of the guys have their own personal gyms, but I don't, you know, I like training in a, I love training in a commercial gym. I love it because there's an energy there that you can feed off a little bit on days where you're a bit flat. Is it also people looking at you? Is, is no, that, it's absolutely not. Smile if it is. This is <laughs> you got me. You got me. It's actually because I train at City Gym, and City Gym, I love oh, City Gym. City Gym's full of like, Beautiful bodies. Isn't I it? it's, know. It's an institution. It's an institute, and the funny, but the funny. This is the funny thing about City Gym, is there are a lot of good physiques in there, and the good, the good thing with City Gym, it's predominantly the it's predominantly gay. It's known as gay friendly. It's predominantly a gay gym, but you walk into City Gym, and there are beginners, intermediates, advanced, gay, straight, bi, tri, trans. You know, rich, poor, homeless. You know, people that live in penthouses on the harbour, there's drug addicts, drug dealers. That like Everyone's in there under the same roof, yet when you put your clothes on, it doesn't matter. It do, it's, a, it's a great leveller. So again, no one really stares. No one really stares. Even you think the boys, oh, they you know, like the look of a muscly man. Everyone's very, very cool. So it's probably a bit uncool to stare or to freak out. Like the rock would train there when he comes to town. No one stares. No one gets a selfie with him. Not cool, Andrew. Not cool. Gosh, so it's told my twelve-year-old son right. the rock goes there. He'd be stalking oh, him. Every time he comes to town, he trains there. Like most of the celebrities, when they come to town, for some reason, I think maybe some of the promoters and agents are connected with City Gym. Probably train there themselves. So there's a lot of who's who in there, but. Um, no one gives a shit whether you're big, small, muscly or not. It doesn't matter. It's great. On your Instagram post, Nick Jones, you said, bodybuilding really gave me a life. It helped me develop a strong mindset, understand goal setting, but ultimately it took a troubled teenager and provided an endeavor that allowed me to feel in control of something in my life, to make change by applying effort and intelligence after a while. Wow, did I write that? That's quite insightful. Yeah, that's that's, that's very... That's very true. Oh, hang on. That was Nick Jonas, the singer. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> uh, that was you. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very accurate. Yeah, I think I, I obviously wrote that uh, at some stage. It's funny how you forget some things that you do and say and write, but it absolutely did. I mean, for all, those things are spot on. I mean, I, I ended up traveling the world with bodybuilding. I did the prestigious Mr. Universe five times. I think I got a six, two fourths, a third, and a second. I never won it. And that's one reason I want to do this universe coming up as well. I've never won a universe title. But I did. I traveled the world with bodybuilding. I learned so much about myself. I always say anyone that's really into their weight training should compete at least once because you learn so much about yourself. You really push yourself 24-7, Andrew. It's when those body fat levels get down close to 5%, you are tired. 
You are really struggling on a daily basis to get out of bed, to do your cardio, to weigh your food, to eat your five or six meals a day, to get in the gym, try and hit PBs, try and maintain your strength at least. Because if if you get weaker, you get smaller. And and the last thing you want to do is lose muscle before a contest. So you're really pushing yourself. And it's one of the few sports, again, I think Tim Zhu, if he had to make a weight cut, would understand to perform at your best in the gym when you're on restricted calories. It's a big ask. It's pretty tough to do, yet the 16 weeks getting ready for a bodybuilding contest, that's what I'm doing. And it really, it's a real mind game. It's, it's a mind game, way more than a physical game. So is that, is that the time? Because we were talking before about getting a set point, you know, having a level of strength as a male or female where you feel fit, but knowing you can you know, dial it up a bit four to so I, I like a four or six week goal. So if I had to be fit for whatever, I, I train hard for four to six weeks, and you taught me what to do, and we'll talk about that, lifting heavy weights, eating clean, mm. but eating a lot more regularly, and yes. a lot more protein than my former nutritionist said I had to Absolutely. have. Absolutely. And I rang you. <laughs> yep, <laughs> uh, confirmed it. But also the rest and recovery. But 16 weeks, how, how long out do you need to really get into that shape now? Getting ready for a bodybuilding contest is very different to me getting ready for a fitness expo where I've got to look good and there'll be some photos and I have to have my arms hanging out or getting ready for a video shoot or photo shoot. So like you, video shoot, photo shoot, four to six weeks, bodybuilding contest where you're in a small pair of trunks and you've got to be below 5% body fat, 20 20 weeks. 5%, that's, that's lean. It's very lean. It's very lean. So the skin, to give the listeners some idea, if you pinch the skin on the back of your hand, that's about the thickness of skin all over your body, your glutes, your abs, your lower back, your waist. So it's about that thin and there's really no fat. There's no physical fat that you can feel subcutaneous, so under the skin, on your complete body. So that 5% really is fat around organs and part of the central nervous system and cell linings. That's really where the fat is. There's and how do you measure? Do you go get a DEXA scan when you're no, doing that? No, I do calipers. And again, I don't, uh, I'm just guessing 5% to be honest, Andrew. You know, I think a lot of bodybuilders will exaggerate it and say, oh, it's 2%, 3%, but you'd be dead at that. So 5% is like, is just straight out of muscle shrink wrapped in skin. The, the eight side? I just do the, the pinches, the skin folds. So again, I don't even work out the percentage. I just make sure weekly those sites are coming down. Okay. So for anyone who's going, what the hell are they talking about? People will pinch the bicep, tricep, Tri- subscap, yep. suprailiac. Yes. Some thigh, do the pec, some calf, do the thigh. I just pec. do four. I just do four. So I do suprailiac, subscap, bicep, tricep. Okay. And then you're just looking at your millimetres of fat and then that's coming down. And then coming there's a down. calculation, millimetres equals estimated percent body fat. Correct. Yeah, okay. So there's some people listening to this going, 5%, I'd love to get under 30%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I reckon, and, and Wiz, you, you come to multiple events with me and you would have heard this dozens of times. If there's a question a middle-aged male asks, it is, how do I get fit, stay fit with minimal amount of work? Mm. So, and, and I tease it out a little bit more. Yep. What do they really want? They want to be lean yeah. and have more muscle mass. Thank you. Thank you. So the bodybuilding lifestyle you spoke about, which is really the fountain of youth. Closest thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is lifting, getting the hormone balance right. Yes. And also mindset. So it's very interesting. Pulling on your thread, almost going to jail at 18, reading the mindfulness article in a bodybuilding mag. I didn't realize that. And then really tapping into someone like Frank Zane explains, even on the oil rig, when you're getting the the balance between, you know, I'm sitting here on talking to you, but also on the balcony, looking at it. 
I know now why you love tinkering with all your products with Gentech, because back as an 18-year-old, you were mixing shit on the oil rig and you actually, you <laughs> like the molecular. So it's yeah. interesting, isn't it, when you trace all this stuff back? Yeah, yeah. But to not get too technical for people, and we'll come to the fountain of youth, what would you say to someone who says, hey, Big Nick, what do I need to do as an average person to get a bit leaner and to put on some muscle, male yeah. or female? It's a combination of weight training and the right nutrition. So with weight training, you don't need to be in the gym, you know, two hours a day, six days a week. You need to be in the gym and lift weights after your warm-ups. And, you know, middle-aged, we do need to warm up. We really need to warm up. And then you, you train with weights hard in the gym for 45 minutes three to four times a week. That'll be enough on the right program to stimulate muscle growth. So when we're training hard and we get that soreness the next day and the following day, as you know, it's it's a muscle soreness through micro tears in the muscle. So you, you're not growing in the gym. You get this great pump and you feel like you're getting bigger and growing muscle. You're not. You're breaking muscle down in the gym. So you go in and break the muscle down. So for chest, you'll do a variety of pressing exercises, dumbbell, barbell bench presses, maybe some flies, and you'll try and get a little stronger each week. You try to. That you will break down muscle every week you'll get these little micro tears and the muscles will recover a little thicker a little stronger if you give them the time the rest and the nutrition so each body part you train really once a week once every five days if you're training hard with the nutrition as you've mentioned as well you have to get enough protein Shout out to the Greeks. The Greeks named the word protein. I've got it. They invented everything, Andrew. Well, Milo, the Greeks invented everything. Milo, Everyone, just ask a Greek and they'll tell you. Well, yeah, this, <laughs> this is for your wife. Just play her this bit. Your lovely wife, who you told me when we're having coffee that you miss and you don't want to be here too long. Andrew, you're on my team. <laughs> you're on my side. Thanks, mate. But Milo, the Greek warrior. You know the story Absolutely. about yeah, that. Progressive Milo, overload. Time. Progressive Milo overload. had a calf and he did squats, as the story goes. And as the calf grew into a cow, he got bigger, so did his quads. And that was the first known story on progressive overload exactly so we'll get, get into nutrition just pause back mm. when you dan and i sat down in a coffee shop in north sydney and you said you only need to do one body part each week yes now I, you know i come from a track and field background i was at the institute of sport in tasmania i'd work with multiple sports yes i'd never ever programmed an athlete i studied exercise physiology Th thought well I, my knowledge on cardiovascular conditioning is pretty good on strength I thought it was good. But then when you said, just do one heavy lift per big body part per week, do you remember what I said to you? No. What did you say? Really? Is that is enough? That, is that enough? That's the common answer. And you said, I've been doing that. And you weren't being a smart ass, but mm. you just, you, I think you may have pointed a little bit <laughs> subconsciously. <laughs> Andrew, I've been doing this for nearly 30 years. And I remember looking at Dan Bradley and Dan was going, <laughs> as if to say, shut the fuck up, former middle distance runner. <laughs> listen, listen to the big dog. So we embarked on that program. So I, I say when the, especially middle-aged male or female ask me, how do you like, what do you do? I'll just, I often tell your story. It's in my book, Match Fed. Mm. Lift heavy. Yeah. Do one body part per week. Now, a lot of people don't have three or four times to go to the gym. Mm. So just go twice. Twice, yeah. And upper do a body one program. day and lower body the other day. Absolutely. So we've got the time to do it. We've got the time for this bodybuilding lifestyle uh, and to change our body composition. And you do need to train with intensity. So I see so many people failing in the gym because they train far too often without enough intensity. My best mate, Mario, I train with him about once a fortnight. He's got a gym just up the road here right. in a big uh, apartment complex where I used to live. Yeah, There's a guy that goes in there. God love him. He goes into the gym 
every time I'm there, I see him. And when I used to live there, but he's there for two hours. So his wife must think he trains so hard, but he's on his freaking phone. Yeah. And I feel like saying, hey, champ, leave your phone. Let's go lift some heavy shit. Yep. Let's do some squats, some deadlifts, some bench, some chin-ups, you know, round out those delts and, yep. and get out of here. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's the thing. If you're there, you might as well make it productive, right? And I'm all, yeah, it's, it's one of those, again, it's a mindset thing. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And I just find the way you train in the gym is the way you lift uh, or the way you live. Sorry. I just, I don't know. Go there, maximize it. Intent. Maximize what you're doing. So person listening to this who wants to get more muscle, mm. gym two or three times a week. Yep. Tell me, what does a workout look like? What would day one and day... Well, let's go a two-day split. A two-day split. So I'd probably do a two-day split. I would probably do chest, shoulders, and arms on that day. I'd probably do chest, shoulders, and arms on that day because, again, it's their body parts that most blokes really want to develop. And, and compound, when you do bench, you are doing pec, you're doing a little bit of anterior delt, right. you're doing triceps. So, so again, we focus mainly efficient. compound. Yeah, mainly compound movements. All your pressing movements for, for chest, shoulders, how, how pressing many? movements. So I'm going to play like I don't know what you do. Yep. How many different chest exercises? How many different shoulder? How many different tricep exercises? Are you a complete beginner or are you a guy that's been messing around there and not let's really getting do results? Both. Let's do complete beginner so they don't tear a tendon and end up having physio. And let's do someone intermediate who needs to dial it up a bit. Complete beginner, I'd say two chest exercises, a compound, like a pressing movement of some sort, whether it's bench press with a bar, bench press with a dumbbell, and a fly, a fly movement. Dumbbell's always better. Yep, a flying movement. For shoulders, we would do a pressing movement for shoulders, and then we would do a side lateral raise for shoulders as well for to really cap out the side delts. You taught me as well, shoulders is more of a slow twitch muscle, as are your calves. Correct. So shoulders, you actually need to do a little bit more reps more for fatigue. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's certain body parts like that that love the volume and they love they love the high reps. So if you think about your chest, like a chicken breast is that white power fibers, the breast, the power, it's the power stuff. So six to 10 reps is really good. The really heavy stuff for chest works really well. But I find for biceps, triceps, shoulders, push the reps up a little bit, 12, 15, 20 repetitions per set to get a better result. My, my partner, Tony, we've been training on a Thursday. She's had two kids. I've helped in that a little bit, but she's done the lion's share of the work. And then we're, we're training, you know, this whiz on a Thursday again. And in the gym two weeks ago, Tony said to me, babe, you're really, you're looking really good for your age. And like, you know, we're for oh, your age. Oh, yeah, and then she just the laughed. Backhander. She said, I'm winding you up. She said, have you been doing much delts though? <laughs> she's onto it. She said delts. She said I'm delts. Impressed. She, I like, she I like has, your has lifted and she said, yeah, but I just think you could do a little bit more delts. So I've been freaking hammering my delts. So They've been delts. so sore. You only need someone to say that. Uh, aren't we pathetic? Like our wife will say something. Hopeless. Hopeless. And we're just, we're on it. Yeah. We're on it. Yeah. it just, so we still got that little self-esteem thing going on deep down. So that's day one. So you're going about two big two, exercises. Yeah, two for chairs, two for shoulders, two for buys, two for tries, plenty. Uh, and then I would do, you know, I'd have a day off, maybe two days off, and then go in and do back and legs. I'd start with back. I'd move on to something like Romanian deadlifts. I find these big compounds, you know, for the whole, uh, you know, posterior chain and functionality as well. Something like Romanian deadlift is so good for the hamstrings, the glutes, the lower back. So I'd do back. I'd go to Romanian deadlifts and I'd finish off with quads. And again, I'd probably do... Yeah, two movements on the back, Romanian deadlifts and a curl on the hamstrings, and then maybe um, a squat and a leg extension for the quads. Okay. I throw an isolation in so, there. And, and you want to get that really nice pop, don't you, with the VMO, the vast yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I like doing, I think bodybuilding training 
to use isolation movements as well as compound. If we were just doing strength, if we were just doing pure strength training, you stick with compound movements, the squatting, the pressing, you know. Which is more the athlete. That's more the athlete if you're going, you're doing strength. But with bodybuilding, I find that the isolation movements allow us to get that volume up a little bit. And we do need, there's a relationship between volume and load. And as bodybuilders for maximum muscle growth, we need both. You know, and and when I'm saying maximum muscle growth, don't think you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, you know, prime years after a few weeks of training. It is just such a slow process. It takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, and anyone that's messed around in the gym that's come to me and asked the question you're asking, they know that. So, so if they ask an, an informed question after that, it's a question to Nick. How do I look remotely like you as a middle-aged male, middle-aged female wanting to get some lean body mass? What should I do? Two days split, lift heavy. Yep. How long is it going to take? Oh, it's just a slow progression. I mean, how, how long's a piece of string? You you will progress slowly, slowly, slowly. The Greeks say cigar, cigar, slowly, 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 cigar, cigar. So the, the longer that you train, the amount of weeks and the months and the years that you train, and as long as it's progressive overload, you're getting a little stronger, your muscles will continue to grow. But I think if you're on the right nutrition plan, you start training like that, you'll start to see a result in three to four weeks. Okay. And the right nutrition plan. Talk to me about that. And before you do... This is where I love the bodybuilding movement Mm. because in Australia, a lot of the myth information has come from dietitians over the years. Mm. There's some great dietitians, but I think there's some dietitians, I'm probably going to get stoned for this, but I'm going to say it. If I've got someone teaching me about nutrition, I'd look at them. I've known a lot of dietitians, lovely people, but I look at them and go, do you really understand about glycogen and glucose control? Do you really understand about macro, micro when you look like that? Whereas I look at you blokes and go, yeah, okay, I'm going to open up and and totally go in with a beginner's mind because bodybuilding is a science and an art. Yes, yeah. very much so. Yes. Whereas I think sometimes the Absolutely. dietitians just go, science says this, but the articles, the peer-reviewed journals, a lot of those were you know, three, four, five years ago. Mm. Times change. Absolutely. Times change. I love that relationship between science and art. And there's so many, actually there was a top Australian sprinter. He was an Olympian, got a bronze at the Olympics many years ago, trains at City Gym. And he said something to me that... He said, I love bodybuilding. He said, I love the science and the art. And he said, I trained in the US. He got a bronze at the Olympics. I can't remember what year. My, he said, I had a bunch of different coaches. There was one that was all about the science and the data, the data, the data, the data. And he said, my favorite coach was a bit about the art and the magic. And he said, and he brought in, he brought in this strength coach to do some weight training with me and it was Charles Glass and he said I didn't know who Charles Glass was but he's this bodybuilding yeah. um, personal trainer oh, been I thought you were going to say Charles Poliquin no like, Poliquin was the guy who was behind <sighs> See, uh, I love Poliquin too. Yes. So yeah, Poliquin loves bodybuilding. So Poliquin was at May Rest in Peace. He was a guy that loves the science and the data, but he loved the old school bodybuilding practices and he would constantly use them in his books and in his programming because he'd see things like supersets, giant sets, double tri-sets, and there's more and more articles on this sort of stuff. But that relationship between the science and the art, you know, really, I don't know. I think I think life in general, as well as your sport, as well as your business, there's always a little bit of magic, you know, in some sort of success. There's a little bit of things just came together. Things just felt right that day. Like there's a little bit of magic. There's a little bit of art that, I don't know, I can't ignore that. You know, I'm very much about that as much as I am the science. 
Very much so. Mm. So on, on nutrition, mm. I know what you got me to eat. What would you tell that person who wants to get leaner, put okay. a bit of muscle? Lean source proteins with every single meal. So when we're talking about lean source proteins, egg whites, you can throw a couple of yolks in as well, just not too many. Um, you might do six and two if you're having eggs for brekkie. Chicken breast, fish, the fatty fish is fine. Don't be scared of the fat. Please don't be scared of the fat. Lean beef is great for building muscle and even losing body fat. People think, oh, you just eat fish and chicken when you're getting lean. You don't eat beef or lamb. Eat the beef. Eat the lamb. Get the lean cuts, though, of the beef and the lamb. Eat the fatty fish. Eat the salmon. So these lean source protein with every single meal, quality complex carbohydrates un processed. You cannot have processed carbohydrates if you want to lose body fat. Processed carbs, if anyone's listening to this, that's the donuts, that's the croissants. And it's pure sugar. processed pasta, all that stuff. That's right. Because even if you look at white bread and we measure carbohydrates response to to blood sugar on their glycemic index, which you mentioned before. And glycemic index is 100. So pure glucose has a glycemic index of 100. You consume glucose, your blood sugar rises very, very quickly. Very quickly. Now, insulin is a hormone that we produce. Diabetics can't, but we produce from the pancreas. Insulin brings blood sugar down, so you don't go hyperglycemic. So insulin's main role is to bring down blood sugar. Now, listen to this. If I can say one thing, if someone wants to lose body fat, when you consume sugar, you produce insulin. When insulin is present in the bloodstream, it is impossible to burn fat as fuel. When you consume sugar, you produce insulin. When insulin is present in the bloodstream, it's impossible to burn fat as fuel. So if you're going to do cardio faster doesn't to burn fat- doesn't matter how much you do. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If you've got sugars in the bloodstream and insulin in the bloodstream, your body will not tap into fat for a fuel source. And that's what you're trying to do. You want to get lean, you have complex carbs with a low glycemic index. So brown rice, if you're going to have pasta, do wholemeal. If you're going to have bread, which I don't recommend because it's processed, you have wholemeal. Sweet, Sweet potatoes, jacket potatoes, rolled oats or oatmeal or you know all of the different great grains that you can have for brekkie, buckwheat, you know, millet, there's a bunch of them. And then uh, plenty of green fibrous veggies, plenty of fibrous vegetables, a little bit of fruits, okay? So as a model, you think of your plate. Yes. As much veggie as you want. As much as you want. Most go a third, a third, a third, go as much as you want. I like the half, quarter, quarter, and depending on where you are, a dab of fat. So a quarter of your plate should be vegetables. Yes. A quarter, as you said, lean, good protein. Yep. And a quarter is those performance carbs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So half veggies, quarter lean source protein, quarter complex carbohydrates with some fats in there somewhere. Some so whether it's olive oil, a bit of olive oil, avocado. some avocado, some nuts. Because people seeds, listening to this aren't going to be competing at the world Mr. Universe like That's you are. That's right. But it's easy to do, you know, and, and like we've said, for me to get ready for Mr. Universe, it's 20 weeks of five solid meals a day and a post-workout protein shake. 20 weeks of that. For me to look pretty good year round, it's four meals a day which is not the anaprotein shake. It's not that hard. I could get away with three meals a day and it's the same sort of food. I ca- carry a bit more muscle mass, so I probably eat a bit more protein and complex carbs than the average person. But otherwise, it's the same stuff, Andrew. That was the big thing I learned from you. It was having five or six meals a day and, and mm. I don't do that now. No, you don't need to. And I, and I want to ask you about fasting. We'll get to that in a moment. But it is eating smaller meals with that, that compound we spoke about yes. more regularly so you're fueling the muscle. Yes. And when you lift, go freaking hard and then recover, which we'll get to. But that, that was that was a change for me, Nick. Not just having brekkie lunch dinner. It was actually having white, basically, protein. It was our egg white yeah. shake. Yep. And then having a meal around 10.30 or 11. Yes. A later lunch. Yes. An afternoon protein shake and then dinner. Yep. So it was over the day, it was – 
yeah. five serves. Yeah, but it wasn't great. just having one big serve. Where yeah. It it's great. And again, the science doesn't support this, Andrew. Like bodybuilders will eat these small meals throughout the day, five to six small meals. My reasoning and rationale, and again, science doesn't support it, but my rationale is as we get older, the metabolism is constantly trying to slow down. And the two things that we do that stimulate metabolism are obviously exercise. The other one is eating. And eating foods like fibrous green vegetables and lean source proteins really stimulate the metabolism. Eating processed carbs doesn't, and it gives you all of this sugar and spikes your insulin. So you want to get lean, you stay away from those processed carbs. But eating small meals often, to me, stimulates your metabolism. The other thing that it does is give you digestible amounts of food. So you digestive system's working better, your belly's nice and flat, your energy levels are higher. You know, you don't have this big meal in your belly from lunchtime time to digest and feel get that afternoon sluggish feeling. You don't get that. So you have these small meals often. So the other thing it does is reduce cortisol every time you eat. So reducing that cortisol, calming you down, allowing you to build muscle and recover. So that cortisol thing has a relationship it's, as well. It's grazing, not gorging. I've been thinking about this and I want to ask you, I don't know where it fits in. I, I do for me, N equals one, but I want to know where it fits in for you. Since we worked together for my six-week shred, yeah. I've added fasting and it works. So I will do a 16-hour fast at least three times a week. Wow, that often. Yeah, yeah. And into like changing, so I don't do it the same day all the time because, you know, fasting goes back to prehistoric times where you'd have a feast and then you'd have famine, so you're well, shocking you have no the choice. Absolutely. Whereas now we just have 24-7 food speed dial. But I'll do, yeah, 15 to 16 hours, three times a week. At least twice I'll try and do what I call a hormesis super stack. So on the end of it, so a 15-hour fast, I'll try and eat 7 p.m. the night before. So around about 11 a.m. the next morning, go and lift up the road. Do the big lifts you taught me. And so how do squats. you feel after being fasted? Your strength is still great? I'll have a couple of coffees, yep. either a black coffee or a piccolo, so just a dash yes. of milk. So I'm, I'm still... Depending on the research, the purists will go, you're not fasting. Those that are saying, hey, you're not an elite athlete anymore and you're doing this for performance, more the way you look and the way you think, you're okay to have a few calories. You're getting 20 calories from the milk in the piccolo. I I find it, I'm easy now, I'm I'm used to it. So I do the big lift and then jump in the sauna for 10 or 15 minutes and I just feel my body burning. Now, the results though, I've kept my lean body mass the last couple of years. I'm doing a lot less cardio I'm doing more weights. I reckon fasting's a game changer. That for me and swimming in cold water. Mm. Yeah, it's funny how the body adapts so well. So what do you feel it really doing for you, the fasting? I know the research behind it. So let me park the research and go how I feel. It's discipline, Mm. one thing. Mm. Do you get hungry? You wake up hungry the next morning? No, I don't now. Yeah, I've got used to it. Whereas I, I, you know, as a runner, I was – in the Institute of Sport, educated when we had the ridiculous food pyramid, which yes. was eat as much pasta, bread as you want. Mm. I think it then had sugar up the top as well, like just ridiculous that we're giving that info to people. I then enjoy my food. So I feel like I've got a better relationship with food now. I didn't realize I was such an emotional eater. Mm. So it's helped me regulate food and emotions. Mm. And I'm eating less. Because one thing I know, again, metabolically, we don't process food like alcohol in our 40s and 50s and also carbs. So we get a, a, a filing down of the villi in the small intestine. Yes. My mum is silly. Is that why? Is that why we just don't need as much carbohydrates as we get older? We don't need We just much. don't need them. Yeah. Yeah. So and mum's celiac, my brother's celiac. I've, I 
definitely am gluten intolerant if I have too much. So all that wrapping up, I don't know, is it the discipline? Is it the way I feel? Is it because it's keeping me lean? I don't know, but it works and I've Mm. seen a bunch of science. But then I still will eat in my feeding window regularly. So I'm sort of combining what you taught me and fasting together. That's great. That's great. So you're eating digestible amounts of unprocessed food. And and, and even thinking about it, metabolic flexibility. Because on the days I'm not fasting, I will eat every two to three hours. I think Wiz, you and the guys here laugh sometimes because I'm always eating. Yeah. (laughs) And you're lean. Your body fat's low. You're in great shape. How old are you, Andrew? 50. You're 50. Yeah, 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 yeah. 73. Born in 73. 73, yeah. Yeah. So we've got lifting heavy a few times a week. We've spoken about what your plate should look like. Yes. Recovery. Mm, Nothing beats good old-fashioned sleep. And for busy people, current day, Sydney, children, business, this is is one of the hardest things. You know, I always say nutrition is the hardest thing, but if you're prepared or you have an office set up as you do and you've got a couple of good eating places where you know you can go get your food, as long as you're prepared and know you can get your food, it's it's not that hard. You can make all those foods taste good. And again, it's your relationship to food that's got to change. Make it tasty. Go and have your salmon and brown rice and salad and get the herbs that you want on it. And just, I don't know, uh, the foods are beautiful. We've got such good produce still in this country to be enjoyed. The sleep and the recovery might be the toughest thing in the modern day. The discipline to me starts the night before. Putting down the phone, getting off the screens, picking up a book, or having a routine where you wind down and get some hours before midnight. Mm. If you can do that, you can be an early riser and be productive all day long, but the discipline is the night before. So yeah. nothing beats good old-fashioned sleep. And it's that parasympathetic nervous system. So Dr. Tom Buckley. Yeah. You haven't met Dr. Tom, have you? No. I have to uh, get you and him in a podcast one day. Jeez, mm. imagine the, the science and the depth on that whiz. But we, we put an ECG on our clients, our high-end clients, for 48 hours. Oh, wow. And then we look at what percentage of the day is sympathetic or mm-hmm. stress, yes. what percentage is parasympathetic or recovery. Mm. And we'll get them to do a good day, switching off 30 minutes before going to bed, all the right stuff that you, know, you and I teach about food and exercise. Then we'll get them to do an experimental day. Check your mobile phone before you go to bed. Have more than one or two glasses of wine. You know, Give mm. it a nudge. Mm. And then we watch the next day. Resting heart rate through the roof. Heart rate variability crashes. And we look at the night. Some people get barely any parasympathetic. So it really is that relationship between stress and recovery. And I've heard you say this. That's where the magic happens. When you sleep and recover, that's when you, you know, that sliding filament theory and you, you're tearing the actin and myosin, getting all nerdy on you now, champ. No, no, um, I love it. Love it. Love but it. Th- that's where it go- grows and your muscle repacks. So exactly. without that, and, and hey, what's a hack? Oh, God, if I hear someone say when I'm doing a talk, what's a hack? There's no freaking hack. There's no hack know. for recovery. Lift, eat, connect with people, be a nice human, and then yeah, recover. Yeah, yes. That's it, isn't it? There's some good basics. Am I missing anything? That's a take home. You're missing nothing there. Connect with people. That's what. Uh, that's what we don't do as bodybuilders as, as much, you know. Really? But no, but we do. No, we do. That's why training in a place like City Gym. It's a great community. It's a tribe. It's a great community. It's absolutely yeah. a tribe without being labelled that. Mm. Now, I'm trying to think the year it would have been about 2015. I was driving. At this stage, I lived up the road on the North Shore, driving over the Harbour Bridge. I was doing some consulting work. I hadn't sold to KPMG, but I was in the process doing mm. some work with them. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my best mate, Mario. I mentioned him before. I'm, I'm going to have to give Mario royalty for this podcast today. <laughs> and I'd just gone over into York Street 
And I'm in the middle of talking tomorrow. It's the start of spring. I went, fuck, wow. And he went, oh, how good spring. <laughs> I went, no, 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 mate. It's not anyone in a dress or any guy in a suit. There's nothing wrong with, you know, appreciating both sexes. He said, mate, what is it? I said, it's a bus. He said, are you that excited about a bus? He said, Andy, what's going on, mate? He said, mate, it's that. Have a look. Oh, yes. It's the Expendables 3. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of talking to Mario and then I've gone, fuck, he's thought I've seen you know, something to divert my attention. And I said, no, mate, it's a bus with a whole heap of men. <laughs> and they go, tell me more. You got me interested. Go through who who is in that photo. I don't have my glasses on, but it's Jason Statham. It's my favourite, obviously, Sylvester Stallone. Dolph Lundgren, who was on the cover of my first Muscle and Fitness magazine that I read. I think Arnold's in the back. Yep. Uh, Jet Lee. Wesley uh, Snipes in there. I think Wesley they even Snipes snuck in, in Kelsey Grammer. Uh, yeah, there's, I was going to say there's a girl. Harrison here. Ford. Mel Gibson's in that photo. It, oh, really? See, my, my, my gla- I don't have my glasses on. Yeah. And I'll give you the ages. And we'll do this on the YouTube video. We'll put this picture up. They all look so healthy. Yeah. Ridiculous. Oh, how could I forget Terry Crews? Yeah, Terry Crews as well. Yeah. He's now, here's the ages. So this is back in 2015 when this was released. Harrison Ford was 71. Sylvester Stallone, 67. Schwarzenegger, Arnie, 66. Kelsey Grammer, 58. And he was fit for that. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't Frazier. Yes. He was yes, the Jack absolutely. Guy in Expendables. Absolutely. Dolph Lundgren, 55. Antonio Banderas, 53. Terry Crews, 47, and Jason Statham was 46. Now, there's a few others as well. They are all so lean, so jacked. Yeah. It's so it's inspiring, isn't it, for guys like us? It's ins- because they were my child. Most of them were my childhood heroes. Well, I guess Arnold and Stallone, certainly. Yeah. Now, do they, and I'm, I'm, I'm being provocative here, Nick, do they just lift heavy twice a week? Do they follow that food visual we said, half plant, quarter protein, quarter performance carbs, a little bit of fat? And good stress and recovery, or are they tapping the fountain of youth? I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't know. I can't say that I know that. But my assumption, and again, they, you know, they say about assumptions. But my assumptions from ex- my experience is, yes, they are doing the food. Yes, they are lifting heavy and doing all the training. And I'd say at their ages, they'd at least be on hormone replacement therapy. Those guys, because again, at those ages, into your sixties and seventies, to have that drive to have that spring in your step, to want to get in and lift heavy, to write and direct the Expendables 3 and be shooting 16 16 hours a day they shoot. You know that with a movie thing. 16 hours a day they shoot. And those guys will shoot in the middle of the jungle in the wet creek at 3 a.m. to just get the shot. Like, I reckon they deserve their money. They earn their money. But, But to have the drive and the zest for life at that age to do that and to look like that, I would have to. Be, I would have to think. In the, I mean, in the US, it's very common mm. for for men in their 50s, 60s, 70s to be using hormone replacement therapy, as women do. You know, in countries all over the world, especially this country. But I think with the men in this country, it's not. It's not so popular. It's still very taboo. But in the US, you look at them; they look like the picture of health. And certainly, if they are using hormones, you know, Stallone well into his seventies, Arnold well into his seventies, still training, still traveling the world, still working, still, still raising family, still eating properly. And you know, I know when The Rock was here, he was eating. He didn't. It was an interview on TV, and he was saying he was in great shape. He was saying how he eats is fish, rice, and broccoli. They they just bring it to him every time he's in his room. That's that's the order. 
as soon as he turns up, it's salmon, rice, and broccoli. He's got bigger. I, I saw oh, an beast. article they had Fast and the Furious, which I love. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, and I love watching with my kids. I've seen every action. one of them. So when a Fast and the Furious, what are they up to? Is 56 or something <laughs> yeah, comes out? 132. <laughs> Some old hashtag. And you've always got Vin Diesel there. You know, yeah, he's great. But I saw The Rock in the first one to the last one. Oh, he's it's like getting bigger. Bigger and yeah. bigger. Yeah. Loves training. Loves it. Loves training. And this is the bit I'm excited to talk to you about. And, and credit mm. to you because we don't talk about this enough. It's sort of mm. subterfuge here. Don't talk about it. But Absolutely. in America, like Joe Rogan has openly spoken about peptides and testosterone and growth hormone on his podcast. And he gets guests on. Whereas in Australia, we don't. And I think we need to be educated about this. Yes. Not so, oh, I'll go and use it. Just so, how are people doing this? And let's challenge the mindset with the beginner's mind. Yeah, Absolutely. Three things, anabolic steroids, peptides, human growth hormone. I'll give you my understanding of it and then tell me the benefits and side effects. On sure. It. So anabolic steroids, synthetic hormones that imitate hormones, specifically testosterone, they are used due to their anabolic effects and assist in the growth and repair of muscle tissue. Yes. Benefits, increase in muscle strength very quickly. It means that people are able to train more often and for longer periods of time. That's why a lot of athletes take steroids. It's not actually the steroid. It accelerates the recovery. The recovery, exactly. Decreased body fat percentage, you look good. Improved bone mineral density, better muscle endurance, increased red blood cells, so plasma production as well. Mm. Have I missed any? No, what are the side effects though? Because I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to take it? Well, <laughs> if the, that's there. This is benefit, why I commend you for having this conversation. Sure. Because when I studied exercise physiology, we had lecturers who knew nothing about this. Of course. Who hadn't trained, who'd been in a lab. Like literally, some of our lecturers were laboratory assistants, wonderful researchers. Sure. And they're teaching us on the side effects of steroids. And I can remember as an 18 year old, just, and I asked a question, oh, have you ever taken steroids? And the whole room looked at me and went, oh, yeah, it's like asking them if they masturbate, isn't it? Yeah. Asking who they masturbate. Yeah. Yeah. See, in the same category. Oh my God, you can't ask that. Wizard? No, no. You can't ask that. You don't have to answer that, by the way. Friend of mine. So we were taught back then, it's going to shrink your balls. Your penis is going to implode. You're going to get Man boobs, mm. your hormone level is going to be shot and you'll probably have a heart attack. Yeah, and you will never have kids too, probably. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah, you end up with two little dried peas. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. So where do they get these side effects from? Because well, when I look at the I expendables and I look mm. at what, what the data is saying about reported side effects, irritability, mood swings, damage to nerves uh, from injecting steroids, fluid retention, fertility issues, small balls, depression... I know some people have gone on HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and they're much happier. Much happier, improve their yeah. depression, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm being neutral. I'm just yes, trying to no, I get open it. a conversation yeah. and explore it. I think all those side effects you're talking about probably would be applicable to something like alcohol when it comes to abuse. So I would say that would be abuse of anabolic steroids could potentially cause all of those side effects. I have no doubt that the abuse of them could could cause all of those. Again, it's it's the abuse. If you abuse alcohol, you know you'd be dead, and some people will be dead in a couple of years if they abuse alcohol. So it's not the 
hormone or the chemical, it's the dose. It's the dose. It's the dose. And I think this is where the Americans and these guys we're talking about, they've got it down pat because they've got doctors over there that specialize in wellness and anti-aging. There are many clinics like that. So if you go over as a 50-year-old as a man and your testosterone levels are in single figures, because I think the range is 8 to 30, if you rock in and you say, look, I'm really flat and depressed. And just, just on that, because that's a really important marker. Yeah. And so when Dr. Tom and I work with our high-end execs, yeah. we look at, we get their uh, testosterone or DHEA, Great. the precursor yes. to testosterone. Great. Less than 9.5 is low. Yep. Average is about 15, 15 milliliters yes. per, so 15 millimeters per liter, and high is about 28 plus. Yes, yes. Yeah? So looking at these guys in the picture, I reckon they'd all be in the 20s, 20 plus, right? Because yeah. they've got, you would think, a specialist in an anti-age clinic. Mm. Really looking at those metabolic markers. Absolutely. The science on this, dialing it up, dialing it down to Absolutely. get it precise. Absolutely. And I think they probably do it so much over there. They pretty much know with most guys at their particular age, their lifestyle, their current testosterone levels, they probably know around about how much testosterone they need, around about how much growth hormone they need to be up in the high 20s consistently not up, not down. They know how much growth hormone they need to be up in the levels they're at when they're in their 20s and 30s. So they are optimal. But of course, when they're doing the blood work for the hormone testing, they test liver function, mm. kidney function, hemoglobin, because the, you can get a thickening of the blood if your testosterone levels are too high. So all of these other markers that everyone should be doing for good health as well, you know, your cholesterols, your insulin levels, your blood sugar, they do all of that sort of stuff so they can see that these guys are optimal in their health. You know, they're not blue, purple-looking skin with water retention and acne. And there's some obvious side effects from anabolic use and abuse. I can walk into most gyms and tell you, you know, pick out a handful of guys straight away that are on anabolics because you can see- You can see straight away. You can see some of those side effects. But again, it's abuse. If I went in and, and looked at your corporate clients in their 50s that are on HRT, I would look at them and go, geez, that guy looks good for his age. He looks healthy. Can you can you pick who's on HRT? Nah. Nah. So explain HRT for someone listening who's got no idea. Hormone replacement therapy. Very, very common for ladies in this country. Very well accepted. Very well my, promoted my and encouraged. My mum's friends and mum and her friends, got love them and they're in their mid-70s. They'll openly say, oh, Cheryl's on HRT and she's so much happier and she's lost weight. That's right. And, yeah, it's a taboo though, right? For a guy to say I'm on hormone replacement. Oh, yeah, because it's the it's that T word is like testosterone. It's it's oh no, he's gonna start bashing people at the lights and, and turn into this crazy aggressive lunatic. Again, you know, it, it would be a combination of testosterone and growth hormone. And you know, if you can use levels that uh, you had in your twenties and thirties. So again, we are talking about being in the range. Why wouldn't you? If you're living with these levels of four and you're struggling to get out of bed, you're depressed, you don't have the motivation, you're getting this extra roll of body fat that you just can't seem to control, you don't feel like training in the gym, you're not recovering in the gym, you're losing muscle mass. Sarcopenia, as we age, can be reversed simply by some training and and uh, We don't HRT. talk about sarcopenia enough. We talk we about don't. osteoporosis, which is a wasting away of bone density. Absolutely, but Andrew. Sarcopenia is the loss in muscle mass. Yes. I've read, Nick, that from 
around 40 years of age, the average person every decade loses about 2.2 to 2.5 kilograms of muscle. Yeah. Yeah. It's dramatic, isn't but it? But we keep the same weight because we're putting on body fat. And that's that's a lot of lean muscle. Your body will look very different. You get two and a half kilos of lean steak. With the steak. same weight, but you're round. Yeah. You look at, you get two and a half kilos of lean steak. Look how much lean muscle mass that is. You start pulling that off the body and putting the fat on in its place. Yeah, you ch- your body composition changes and the way you look and obviously the way you feel is, is uh, not great. So testosterone or anabolic steroids, mm. human growth hormone is a natural hormone produced by your pituitary gland. Yes. HGH helps maintain normal body structure and metabolism, helps you keep your blood sugar, glucose levels within a healthy range. The use of HGA in sport today is not only based on its anabolic properties, but also its effect on carbohydrate and fat metabolism. Benefits are purported to be increased exercise capacity, bone density, increased muscle mass, decreased body fat. A lot of good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I'm sold. Talk to me about the dance between the HGH and, and anabolic steroids. Yeah, obviously very, very different hormones, very different function in the body. HGH, again, you know, the, a lack of HGH in young adolescents causes dwarfism so that the dwarfs, children that are not growing at a, at a rate as to what they should, they will use HGH then. It's been used for decades and decades and decades for that. I think HGH, human growth hormone, and specifically around what you've said as the benefits, would be the closest thing to the fountain of youth. I think it's probably only half. I mean, if you used HGH without the testosterone and you had those very low testosterone levels, I don't think the HGH would be enough to regenerate your own production. I think when you get to a certain age, uh, like the ladies do with uh, menopause, you're just not producing enough of the hormone anymore and you're just not going to. So I'd say the HGH works very, very differently. Uh, you know, you've nailed the benefits there. Testosterone, really quite different. Testosterone is more the masculinizing, has a much, I'd say it have a, have a much more dramatic effect on that aggression. And I don't want to say that in a bad way, The like that drive, the, you know, the get up and go, the drive, the zest for life, the want to get out of bed in the morning, that spring in your step. When all that is gone low, due to low testosterone levels. And again, Andrew, for the, the corporates that have these really high stressful lifestyles that are not training. So at least with you and I, we're doing all the things to maximize our natural production of testosterone. So the heavy compound weight training stimulates testosterone. Getting enough sleep is when you produce the majority of your testosterone and growth hormone. So without the sleep, without the good quality sleep, you're not going to be producing your growth hormone and testosterone as well due to that even the, the right nutrition. So we're doing all the right things. We're doing all the right things to, to augment it. But even then, I just think of the guys that are not, what chance have they got? And I've also read, or well, part of the research Dr. Tom gave me, is the average male will lose, their, their testosterone levels will drop 1% every year from 40 onwards if you do yeah. nothing about it. Wow. That's a pretty depressing stat, isn't it? Your testosterone level is dropping 1%. Mm. The average person's putting on 2.2 to 2.5 kilograms of fat because they're replacing that muscle. And then they get to their 70s and go, yeah, God, I'm old. They look old, think old, act old, play old. It wasn't in the brochure, all this stuff, mate, was it? You probably would have knocked, knocked it back. It wasn't, was it? Probably- I've got one more thing, and I, and I yeah. love that we're, we're talking about this. Peptides yes. stimulate the release of human growth hormone. 
short chains of amino acids that occur naturally in foods in your body. Manufacturers can isolate them from natural sources or make them artificially. Benefits, they're hard to detect as they're absorbed quickly. This has really come to life with peptides. And again, how little we know. When the uh, supplement saga, which was Essendon Football Club and AFL and Cronulla Sharks yes. and the NRL, yes. people go, oh my God, they're drug addicts. I, yes. I heard you know, people, I know educated people say, oh, they're drug addicts. It's like, no, they're taking peptides. Mm. Increased speed, strength, endurance, lean muscle and reduced signs of aging. So there's some similarities between all those, but mm. obviously different compounds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are amino acid chains that stimulate your body to produce growth hormone, to stimulate your body to produce testosterone or more so to keep testosterone active, Selectri- some selective androgen receptor Receptors, modulators. Yeah. yeah, the modulators. So they allow your testosterone to stay as testosterone and, and bind to muscle sites more readily. And again, they're, they're peptides from natural sources. You know, the whole thing of sticking a needle into your body as an athlete is taboo. So, you know, the other, I think it was the Brisbane Bears when they were using electrolyte drips. Was it the Bears yeah, yeah. at halftime? Yeah. Again, it was, they're electrolytes, my goodness, but they're injecting them. So as again, a general public, it's really taboo once you start talking needles and injecting substances, natural or not. It's a really strange thing, isn't it, the perception? When I was in year 11, I started working in the gym at Dubbo at uh, RSL Bodyline. And it was a great experience. But back then it was aerobics and weights. And I was an aerobics instructor back then. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. You would have been getting paid good bucks though. Good bucks I could see you in your short tights up on the stage at about eye level (laughs) of this room full of ladies in Dubbo. You would have been the biggest hit in Dubbo. There are a lot of anomalies there. Uh, I was an aerobics instructor at Dubbo while my mates were playing footy. That was interesting. And I was straight. (laughs) Go figure. But anyway, there was a guy. You were smart. I'm on to you. You were smart. We'll have a chat offline. We'll have a chat offline, mate. Um, There was a guy who came to the gym at Bodyline and he was massive, but all out of proportion, all puffy. I know now he was, uh, we've heard he was taking horse steroids. Yep. You hear these horror stories where guys have broken into a vet at Cootamundra and they're injecting <laughs> horse steroids and bloody sheep, sheep testosterone yep. and everything else. And yes. they're walking around and shitting on the gym floor. <laughs> so that's, that's on the outline. People have got no idea, right? That's another area where I think this is you know, far from that. You know, doctor who's working with all the Marvel. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Wizard, you were saying there's a doctor, I think they call him Dr. Marvel, who works with a lot of the actors in America. Yeah, I was reading an article about this guy and basically whenever they get hired for a DC movie or a Marvel movie, you know, Chris Pratt, Parks and Rec, bit chubby, bit overweight, and then he rocks up in Guardians of the Galaxy just absolutely shredded and I don't think it's that easy. So I've heard that there's this doctor and there's a couple of personal trainers in Hollywood they just send them to like a boot camp type thing. Would totally make sense. If your absolutely. job is your body, absolutely. which your, yours is. Yeah, absolutely you makes know, you, sense. You rock up to a fitness conference, uh, people are going to buy Gentech. You, know, mm. you want to look like the guy on the label. Exactly. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes And, and that this whole thing is so open in the US and there are these clinics for hormone replacement. So yeah, I think it, it makes so, sense. Why, why is it so open in the US and why is it so taboo here? Oh, might be, I mean, marijuana is a similar situation, right? So it's illegal here, completely legal over there, and, and they look at the benefits of it with certain people. It's not it's not my bag, but um, pardon the pun. <laughs> but uh, it might be the same. I don't know, just the public perception of testosterone, of steroids, is really taboo here. But, you know, I guess it with a lot of people as well, marijuana 
would be taboo here as well, I'd say. I I can't answer that. I really can't. It's, I think it's a miseducation and misinformation. Mm. Now, you've given me permission to ask this next question. Yes. You've competed clean mm. or, or clean. You've you've competed. Is there a better natural? And no, natural, and clean, steroid-free. competed where you've taken exogenous substances. Yes. What's the difference for you? Like when you when – you, like how do you feel different? How do you perform different? Yeah, m- much like you said, the difference with anabolics are they help you to be stronger – and help you to recover quicker. So if you don't go into the gym and train harder, a little more often, you're just not getting the benefit. All they really do is allow you to get a bit stronger and use more protein to recover quicker. So the protocols with nutrition, with training, with cardiovascular work to lose body fat are really unchanged because when I was using anabolics and training, I would train so hard so hard. I was squatting 230 kilos for six to eight reps, you know? So I was training so, so hard. That's, yeah, I was was strong. I was very strong. But as uh, an 18 year old, without ever using anabolics, I could squat 180 kilo back then, you know? So I think, oh, it's not, I think I know there are no real differences in the application of protocols to building muscle and losing fat whether you're using anabolics or not using anabolics. I think the athletes that do use them where, I mean, bodybuilding's not, majority of the, the top competitions, they're not tested. You're not cheating to use anabolics in bodybuilding unless it's a tested natural federation. And all the biggest federations, most popular federations in the world don't test. There's no drug testing. So it's very openly talked about in the US. They refer to steroids as PEDs, performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes they call them IPEIDs, performance performance-enhancing image drugs, but I, I, ah. I prefer that PEDs. PEDs, yeah. I'd say maybe the media call it PEID, and I'd say the athletes call it PED. Certainly softens the the blow when you say, you know, I'm using steroids or, yeah, I'm using PEDs like all the other athletes. And again, uh, you know, it's like the guys that you talked about using the vet steroids. It's very, very different to being an educated athlete. And I mean, I never, never used coaches. Back in the day with bodybuilding, we'd learn the training, the nutrition, the supplementation, we'd learn all of this ourselves because there were no real bodybuilding coaches back when I first started with bodybuilding and I've learned enough to not even need to use a coach. Uh, You've learned all this yourself. Did you step into PEDs by yourself as well? You had to discover that or were there people that helped you? Back when I was bodybuilding and in the NABBA days and so forth when I was really big, I think it was books. It was all underground books. Really? Yeah, it was underground books. So to find so the information- So we just thinking the underground books we had as kids, it was porn magazines. We're going to lose <laughs> listeners. I can remember at Glenniness High School in year six, I was a school captain and I was one of the- 16 boys in that year because one of the guys Chris Archibald found a stash in his dad's backyard <laughs> in his dad's uh, woodworking shed whiz but I don't think he was for he was doing a different form of woodworking <laughs> very oh, good bad dad joke very, so, that was a good so, one that so was Archibald's a bought them and we, we trampled this grass next to the Catholic school and I was school captain we got hauled in Gosh, we got in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah I digress. So what a we, we, we learned from magazines. So you had similar magazines. So, but so we had books. We had underground steroid handbooks. And that's really where you learn. And unlike today with the internet, I think the internet, there's so much information on them these days. I think too much with a lot of things because there is still a lot of myth or misinformation. But I certainly think, you know, the, the top athletes, say the top bodybuilders in the world, I think they'd be very educated on what they're doing. 
I think there would be some abuse going on simply because the size of the open bodybuilding division. I know the classic physique is something that's really nice and fresh where the guys aren't abusing themselves. They're not damaging their health. There's minimal risk. They see their doctors regularly for their blood work and they're very intelligent guys. They're not the guys in the gym using the the horse and, and the, the sheep and testosterones and shitting on the floor and shitting on the floor yeah <laughs> well even you know there's this it's just there's so much widespread use of anabolics these days in normal gyms by normal young guys the young guys is what concerns me because again i trained for eight years without using anything i had some friends in adelaide that were two of my best friends were naturopaths and they steered me away from it and that's where i competed in the non-tested federations as a clean bodybuilder and I won this Mr. Adelaide, I won the Mr. South Australia teenage. I went to the Australia and the teenagers were a bit bigger, let me tell you, Andrew, they were a bit bigger than I. And I got fourth in my first Mr. Australia in 91 over in Perth. But then the Natural Federation started. So I was competing with the Natural Federations and won the Junior Mr. Australia and the Open Mr. Australia and Mr. South Australia. And I w- would say, I, I will go on record for saying to use or not to use, unless you're competing in bodybuilding, don't use. It's better to not, at a young age, you've got high growth hormone, high testosterone. Us old guys in our 50s, we're just trying to have levels that we had naturally hang, hang then. Hanging on, hanging on, yeah. You know, so I well, think- when you're in your 20s and 30s, especially 20s, every morning you wake up with a kickstand. That's right, that's right. And let me tell you, young guys, it stops happening when you're, you're reaching your 40s and 50s. So, you know, you Does do- it? You do not- <laughs> You do not depend- Depends, depends on what you're doing. Fr- fr- friend of yours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah friend, friend of mine. <laughs> I think do it without for as long as you can because it's so much more sustainable and maintainable. The guys that use the anabolics when they're young, you see them like you guys at Dubbo, they blow up with all this water attention, they get all the acne. They just don't need more hormones at that age. And a lot of it does cause side effects at that age. So a lot of what you know the media is saying and the road rage and yes, it's abuse. Yes, it's misinformation. Young guys do not need it, especially to build a good physique. You do not need it. But I'd say like your, your data says, they're over the age of 40, testosterone levels decline, sarcopenia becomes a real thing where you're losing muscle every single year, you're increasing body fat levels every year. I think, you know, that's the time when you look at it. And, and again, Andrew, we've both got young children still. We both have Mediterranean wives, or yours are not Mediterranean, but- Lebanese. They, Lebanese. I think they try and claim that they're in the Mediterranean. Yeah, would. Similar personalities and culture. Let's- Like, culturally calm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Like there's, there's, Absolutely. There's no ups and downs. No, so very loving, very nurturing, yeah, very, not very like, calm. Not like trying to ride a tiger. No. God bless. <laughs> Nothing like trying to ride a tiger is the best thing I've heard. God bless it. We love them, love them to bits. Yeah, these days in my 50s and you in your 50s now as well, to have young children, to be running business, to still be wanting to train. I mean, I'm getting ready for the Mr. Universe, which is very extreme, but outside of getting ready for the Mr. Universe, I still train and have to be like we need energy to keep up with our kids we need to live well we want to live well i mean life's a bucket list mate and if you don't have the energy and drive to get up every day and try and tick a couple of things off i don't know i would go down the pan pretty quick i appreciate you being so open thank you i've loved the conversation Mm. loved it you haven't studied sports science officially no you've got a really in-depth knowledge on all this really in-depth 
So you've obviously, you've been the experiment. You're the guinea pig. Absolutely. You've gone deep. You told me you get blood work. What mm. sort of blood work do you regularly get? I get blood work, again, to test my testosterone, my growth hormone, liver function, kidney function, cholesterol, prostate. I'm in my 50s, so prostate, insulin, blood sugar. So all of the markers everybody should really get How tested. How often? Three to six months. So the, the, the levers, any of the levers you're using, you're then tracking those markers. So mm. you're measuring the health of organs. You're, mm. you're measuring the health of the internal system. Mm. So you can see exactly what's going. Absolutely. So some people will go, oh, those guys are idiots. They've got no idea what they're doing to their body. I know better than anyone what the state of my body. I actually had my doctor's appointment yesterday and ran through my bloods. My testosterone levels are a little high at the moment, getting ready for the contest. And um, my all of my markers are better than they've ever been, even when I wasn't using anabolics. So my markers right now, touch wood, everything's like touch wood, beautiful. I'm 52. Uh, I'm busy with business. I try and get my sleep. I'm busy with business. I'm busy with my children. I'm training hard. I'm up at 5.30 doing my cardio, like my my fat burning walking and uh, training hard in the gym four to five days a week. And uh, my markers are uh, excellent at the moment, but I'm constantly measuring. And it's really what we do. And it's probably a scientific approach, but with a bit of magic. So we do something, we do a training protocol and we measure, we measure our strength. We couple that with the nutrition. We measure our body composition, our muscle tissue and, and our body fat loss through the, the skin fold. So you can only do something and measure it. And this is really science. And I would never diss science. Science is great, but I always found it difficult to always trust data in research that was performed by someone I don't know on a bunch of people that I don't know in a place I don't know. And those people that the research is done on, what are their external stresses like? I don't know if they're students. I don't know if they're professionals. I don't know if they have three young children in a company to run. I don't know all of these things. So the best way for me to work out what works best for me is to try to myself and measure it. And that's bodybuilding. And really, that's been the joy, one of the joys of bodybuilding for me over the last... I don't know, 15, I started bodybuilding. I'm like 52. So he's coming up to 40 years now. One of the joys for me has been exactly that, using myself as, a, as an experiment, a test tube baby, if you will. But now the test really isn't about just muscularity and winning an international title, even though I'm getting ready for one. The, it is wellness, being really well, having high energy, being strong, maintaining muscle tissue into my later years. I'm looking at a guy like Sylvester Stallone going, you're my hero. You're my hero. You're in your 70s. You have three young daughters. You have a beautiful wife, um, You know, th three children just like me. And I see the way the guy trains. And I, I watched him do a, it was like a pike on a Pilates bed. So you know what a pike yeah. is? Yeah. So he was out at full stretch into a pike position. And I saw that maybe five years so ago. So it's, it's an upside down. If, if everyone can think, like if you touched your toes and then you had a, a roller that moved, you yes. come out. So it's like your body's an A-frame. Yeah, your body's an A-frame. So, and you go flat on the floor with your arms stretched out in front and then he would pull himself into the pike. So that was well into his 60s. And I'm like, that's... That's what it's about. Not just looking like Mr. Universe, but being strong, functional, flexible, having vitality and loving life. Three things to close out. And I really want to talk about your business. Yes. The first one, we 
do need to just go back to when we're telling people to lift heavy a couple of times a week mm-hmm. to get the right food and also to sleep. You've got to move. Like you've got to get lots of daily movement mm-hmm. to get your steps up or a little bit of low-state cardio. Yes. Um, just want to close that out as well. Second, when I look at global results, world records, swimming, smashing the records, track and field, smashing the records, cycling, and there's been open discussions and we know what's happened in cycling with a lot of the drugs with uh, Marco, Pantani, Lance Armstrong, who've been totally discredited. They're all probably doing it. But look at, so let's double click on track and field and swimming. If you watch a world championship and and you see that these records are just being smashed and then we hear they're better shoes, what do you think? I think everything is better and I think everything needs to be better. Again, like building muscle, you just don't take steroids and build muscle. It it doesn't work. You need to do the training, the nutrition, get the rest, use the supplementation. So yes, they need the swimming costumes and yes, they need the better shoes and yes, they need the better training. They need all of that, all of it. But I just, I mean, how many decades has it been now where it's been quite open that there were certain substances being made? Was it Balco Labs? They were making anabolic substances, making them that couldn't be detected. Microdosing. There's a lot of talk in track and field about genetic doping as well. Oh, right. Just dialing up little microdosing, like actually understanding that the genome and playing with that. It'd be a really interesting podcast to get someone, I don't know who would be an expert in that field. Exactly. It would be, wouldn't it? Because I remember, I don't know if I can say his name, but he was uh, he got into the UFC. He was in kickboxing K1 and he was in a lot of movies in the US. He was about 180 kilos, 170 kilos, 180 kilos. Wouldn't have been more than 15% body fat. Looked like a silverback. So he was kickboxing at the time. My very good friend in Adelaide, Paul Slowinski, the Sting, he was a top pro fighter. I strength coaching Paul and training with him and we went to Melbourne to for him to spar and um, I remember we went to we went to dinner and seriously when I saw him sitting on the edge of the ring he looked like a silverback he was about <laughs> 180 kilo six foot six maybe six foot five 180 kilo maybe 12 15 percent body fat Andrew you never see anything like it he looked like a silverback we went to dinner he got two full-size serves of lasagna and two pineapple juices and we were talking and I'm like, I really want to know what's what's going on here. I really want to know. What's like, the silverback juice? Yeah, what's the silverback juice? What's he sticking in? What's he doing? And and I, you know, I didn't probe him too much, but what he did say was, he said, I can't wait to get home because Jungle Cat, I'll have a, a new Jungle Cat. And I said, What do you mean? He goes, I've got, I, I have these exotic pets, these cats. They're like breed between a domestic cat and a tiger. They're, they're you know, Jungle Cat. And he said, My mine died. My cat died before I came over, so I cut a piece of his brain out, took it down to the lab, and they're cloning him. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just down the street. I'm like, you got labs down the street that clone your pets down the street? He goes, yeah, I'm going to have – it's the cat. They're making him out of – and I'm like, wow. And that would have been back in 2000 and – Five? Have you been having a couple of the tokes on the green stuff? Nah, that's that cloning and, you know, they- Dolly the sheep? Yeah, right. That Then that was back in 2005 in the US. I think they're so far advanced with things that we have no idea. So when it comes to the athletes, I just don't know. I just don't know. And I guess I probably don't look at it as much anymore as much as I look at anti-aging and wellness because that's where I'm at. Back in the bodybuilding days, I was more interested in that sort of thing. And I keep saying back in the bodybuilding days, I'm getting ready for the Mr. Universe contest, but but it's uh, not at the expense of my health and it's not experimental. It's uh, 
So I'm doing it for my kids, really. They want me to do it. They really want me to do it. It's awesome. Awesome. Mm. Final question. Yes. The feedback loop when you're taking endocrine hormones. Mm. Yeah, have you had any experience with that? When you're taking exogenous, it switches off your endogenous production. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, correct. That's of course. And you know, and I'm not sure with growth hormone, but it must happen to some degree. And it would come down to dosage. So yes, back when I was competing internationally in the non-tested federations, it happens with all bodybuilders. The levels of testosterone they take switches off their own production. Mm -hmm. So again, when you go off, using that testosterone, you need to use other substances to kick your own system back in. So again, it it's, uh, becomes a bit of a cocktail, but again, it comes down to education and it comes down to measuring, looking at blood work and doing the right things. And having that, I think more than ever, if you're going to use hormone replacement or if you're going to use anabolic steroids or PEDs, you must become educated and I think you must be even more disciplined when it comes down to this because, yes, abuse, if you're pushing the envelope, I've always loved pushing the envelope, but more in the gym, more in the gym and more the nutrition than pushing the envelope with PEDs. I was never comfortable doing that. Hence, I've got three children and touch wood, I'm very healthy and, and all as well. And I think, yeah, you, you do need to become more disciplined and more educated if you're going to use that stuff. I really do. But when it comes to hormone replacement therapy, different kettle of fish. Go to a great doctor. Make sure you get your blood work done every three months and live really, really well. I could ask so many more questions. I just see Wizard. You've been on the edge of your chair sometimes and like you're, I can just see my peripheral vision, him leaning forward going, oh, no one ever talks about this. <laughs> Wiz, what, what do you want to ask or what have you learned from this discussion with Nick? Oh, I was just going to ask, you know, about gym routines, especially for someone that only goes a couple of times a week like I do, but you've already answered that, which is, is great. I'm going to take that advice. And from what I've learned so far, I've just been fascinated by just this open talk about PEDs because I feel like it's something I only ever hear about in, you know, hushed tones and it is so easy to get the wrong information about them, like you were saying, especially online. I think for a young guy, I think someone in, in your position, Wizard, I think, the future's looking bright. You know, we, we've, guys of Andrew and I age, we've looked at, you know, our, our friends, dads and so forth, getting into their 40s, 50s, 60s, getting old, getting decrepit, you know, being that guy with the low testosterone and henpecked and beaten. We've looked at those guys, mate, let me tell you, I reckon this decade of my life will be the best ever between 50 and 60. 60 to 70 might be, I don't know, I look at guys like Stallone, that excites me. So for a young guy, I think what could be on the table in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years when it comes to wellness and anti-aging, might have to go overseas. I can't see Australia you, you've doing it. You've just grown. Like you've, like you're, you've, this is your calling. You're, you're super passionate about this. Oh, I, I really am. You know, it, it excites me. It really excites me. And there's nothing, I don't have any formal qualifications here, but I'm really I mean, it's always for me been about, I've suffered depression. I've been to the pit. I never want to go there again. So there's a part of my life that's been dedicated to finding the best antidepressants or the best antidepressing way to live because I want to live well, Andrew. So was that when you were 18 and that, that was, path? No, when... no, I, I got chronic fatigue syndrome twice. The second time was after the Mr. Universe and that's when I stopped using anabolics. So my last Mr. Universe was um, October 2002. 
Come January 1, 2003, chronic fatigue syndrome from the second time, but it was horrible. And the depression, I hit the pit. And my comeback to bodybuilding was as a natural bodybuilder. I didn't take anything. Do you think the pit may have been because of the up? The pit may have been because the up. The pit, there's three types of stress that cause disease ultimately. One is mental and emotional stress. So I'd started my company from scratch. I was in a relationship that I was in for 10 years and didn't want to be there long term, was with a much older partner. So the emotional stress was at a maximum. Starting a company, wrong relationship, too guilty to break it off and get out. So maximum uh, you Catholic background? Mental and emotional. No, no, no. Catholic no. Guilt there. It sounded like that Catholic guilt that I get sometimes. No, no, I don't know where I go. This guilt thing's a horrible thing. It was yeah. from my upbringing. But, um, and, and the uh, physical stress. So it's mental and emotional, physical and chemical. Now, the physical, I trained too hard for too long. I used to like squatting 230, 220, 230, week in, week out. Training so hard. I trained too hard for too long. And then the chemical Your stress. Your endocrine system just was smashed. Smashed. Completely sympathetic, 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 sympathetic. No, parasympathetic didn't kick in. The vagus nerve had shut down. So I was sympathetic for so many years, you know, I burnt out. I burnt out and it was chronic fatigue. And I had glandular fever as a young teenager. So when I first started getting into Louise Hay, because I got the glandular fever. So there was an emotional side to that. But certainly the chronic fatigue was part of the glandular fever, but then it was all three stresses in maximum. So really... Having have been that sick and that depressed and that fatigued, post that, I want to be well. I want to have vitality. I want to have energy. I want to have strength and flexibility. And I want to live my life to the fullest. It's a, My life's a bucket list, Andrew, as is yours and Wizard. And I want to be well enough to be ticking the things off. You know, I, I, I'm going to go to the gym after this, Wiz. So I'm going to wrap up any meetings. I'm going to go lift heavy go, yeah, shit. Yeah, go, go. Now, let's talk about your business, Gentech. Sure. I've been using Gentech for the last four years since we did our six-week experiment to get my photo shoot when the editor said I looked not like he wanted me to look. <laughs> and I like it. I mm. really do. I, I use P2P. Mm-hmm. I love the casein custard. That's mm, my dirty yes. little dessert. I get some blueberries, frozen blueberries, mix up the casein custard, have that. Uh, and also your your protein powders. They're really good. So that, go back. When did this start? When did you go from buying other people's supplements, protein powders, and, and actually making your own August 99 so I started um, I started as a distribution business I worked for Masashi as a rep for about seven years and state manager in South Australia and uh, I had a fallout with the original owner who's a fantastic guy by the way great guy highly intelligent he sold out to Nestle I think about seven years later so 99 I finished with Masashi and I was getting ready for the Mr Universe contest and I thought you know I'm gonna get ready like a full-time bodybuilder and go and win the universe. And after a few weeks, I sort of realized, no, no, I need my structure. I need a, you know, I need some discipline. I need to work every day. So rather than getting a job with another company as a rep, I started distributing a couple of brands in Adelaide. So I filled my garage full of stock and I went out and saw all the, the big retailers and I didn't even have a car. I borrowed a mate's car who went back to Canada, a little Corolla, so I could deliver the stock because uh, I had a company car with Masashi. So, um, yeah, I started from my garage in 99 distributing other products. As some of those companies I was distributing were running out of key lines, I kind of realized my income and business and success is still being controlled. It's really being controlled by someone else and whether they can supply me their products to distribute. This is crazy. And then I was getting ready for the universe and I'd always use Masashi and the original owner was fastidious with quality. This is where I learned about amino acids. He was fastidious. So getting ready for all of my previous nationals and universe and world championships, I'd use Masashi products and they were great quality back then. 
you know, so I was getting ready for this universe, not knowing what quality of product I was using. Distributing brands where, you know, the, the supply was a bit on and off. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do my own. I'm going to do my own because I know what I'll be using. I'll be able to source the raw materials I want to use. And in doing that, I'll have stock and I'll supply my own brand and own product. And very unorthodox, as I am in many ways, I started with creatine and glutamine. You couldn't do it these days. You just couldn't do it, you know. Creatine was massive, wasn't it, back then? Everyone yeah, wanted creatine. It's bigger now than ever, believe it or not. Now I can't keep up supply. I literally, I get it in every quarter. We get the German Creapure. It's the best creatine in the world. And ours chem that produce it, the Creapure, they cannot produce enough for the world market. Price has gone through the roof. I get a shipment every three months. I sell it in two days. Came in last week. It's gone. It's gone already. So... You know, I'll get another shipment in three months, same thing will happen. I'll sell it in two days, all pre-sold basically. So it's the high quality stuff that so many people know and want. But that's how I started with creatine and glutamine. And slowly, slowly as I could afford to, I developed my Pure Carbs product. Then I developed my first protein, the macro way. And so it went. And as I could afford to, I'd re- develop and release a new product. And it's kind of what we still do today, kind of. So when you say we, is it just you in the business or do you just have me. partners? No, just me. I'm not good at listening to people. My wife's, <laughs> I'm not boss at home. I'm not the boss at home, but at Gentec, there's got to be one place I'm the boss, Andrew. Yeah, true. true. Right. But, and, and I can see the knowledge you've got physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. You've you got that depth. Mm. You bring that into your products. It's not just one size fits all. You're no. constantly testing. I've heard other podcasts, the What's Up podcast, you know, how you've had some disasters, then you find what's good. You're, you're open. Hey, sorry about that. Recall. Yeah. Build that trust with clients. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I still I still try and build the best product I can to get the best result possible. So I don't look at the market and that product category and go, this is the price point. This is how much margin I need. I've got to build a product to this budget. I don't do that. Don't I'm you? very un- no, nah, I'm very unorthodox. chat. I build the best product I can. Some products, there's margin. Others, it's terrible. But I build the best product I can. Isn't it interesting? I say we need to chat as an entrepreneur. And then I pause to go, you're so freaking passionate. You I love- have to do it this way. No other way. I can't stand there. I still go and talk to retailers like Mark around the corner. I know, Mark up the road. I'll make sure Mark gets this. He's a legend. I love his smoothies. Yeah, he's a cracker. So he, yeah, so I still, uh, I have to stand behind my product. So I need to, and and when I use it as well, imagine if I was using my creatine and I was using the cheaper Chinese-based product. Imagine using that going, geez, I wish I got the good stuff from Germany. So anyone listening to this who needs to get more protein, and we haven't, we'll close that out as well, about one and a half grams per kilogram. I think if someone just wants to start in that first phase, pretty lean, you're probably going to dial me up to two. Yeah, two. I'll dial you up to two. I yeah. usually say people that are training hard that want to maintain, especially at our age, you know, we can't, we don't need as much carbohydrate and we're battling sarcopenia. I'd say if you want to maintain muscle, two grams per kilo grams body weight. You kilo. want to build two and a half. Okay. So I'm 90 kilograms, sort of hover about one or two kilograms either side. So I need about 150 to 180 yeah, right on. grams of protein. So right when on. I see Mark after a workout up at North Sydney Fitness First, I go and get a smoothie, yep. 55 yeah, grams, grams, bang, there's yep. a third of it. Yeah, exactly. So many people listening to this get nowhere near enough protein. That's right. And we know you're getting the muscle wastage. Absolutely. Do yourself a favor. Go to Gentech. Give us the webpage. Mm, gen-tech.com.au. That's G-E-N hyphen T-E-C.com.au. And buy protein powder. Have one scoop every day like I do. It's in the kitchen behind us. So if I get to the afternoon and I'm feeling a little bit sort of fatigued, 
don't go get a coffee. You have a few coffees a day. Get some protein. Yeah. It's a natural, natural way to keep your energy levels up and also to keep on lean body mass. Absolutely. Use my personal code as well. If anyone's going there from the podcast, rather than set up one for you, Andrew, it's use all capitals, Nick, N-I-C-K. Just type that in, 15% off site-wide. Awesome. We'll put this in the show notes as well. What's the goal with your business? So crystal ball, and I, I say question. this to all my entrepreneurs, well, what is the ultimate goal? Do you want someone like Nestle to come along like they did to Masashi, offer them a truckload of money? That's a really good question because there's three things you do with a business ultimately, and I never thought about it like this because it's my passion. You either build it and sell it or you pass it on to your kids or you float it. Now, so for me – would be to sell it, would be to sell it one day. I'm still really enjoying it. I, I don't want it to sound like a cop-out, but it's a real lifestyle business for me. I still enjoy my business, provides a great lifestyle for my family. I've got three young kids in, in a great school and we live in a nice home by the beach and I enjoy what I do still, Andrew. So doesn't show. You need to dial it up a bit. Like seriously, <laughs> a bit can we have, a, have a bit of a chat about your presence and <laughs> energy levels, mate? Do, do you know anyone who can help? Yeah, I don't know. But I've heard of this guy around North Sydney. He's pretty good apparently. Oh, that guy with the shiny head. Yeah, he's <laughs> full of shit. Go to the guy in Cronulla. <laughs> Go to the other one. <laughs> shiny headed guy in North Sydney gets all of his content from the big guy in, in Cronulla. Oh, gee. So yeah, I um, I mean, if someone came and offered me good money for it, I, I would look at selling it, but probably work work for the have business. Have you had any offers? Have you ever had anyone sniff around? Not really, not, nothing serious, no. I get asked a lot. I do get asked a lot. Nothing serious, no. No, nothing serious. No. I guess I'm probably, there's still quite a lot to do. I'm changing my main manufacturer at the moment. So we, we are overhauling the entire range at the moment. So I'm reformulating every product, reflavoring, and then relabeling. So how do you do all this shit without a degree in molecular biology? Like how, how do you learn this? It's what I know. It's all, it's all I know. I mean, you couldn't go to university. You could be a food technician and learn how to put the products together with a flavor. But have you, but, got, a, have you got a lab? Are you doing but testing? I to, yeah, You're I used to do that anyway. White mittens and all that shit? Good question. In the old days, I used to put together the raw materials myself. So I'd do the formula, I'd get a shaker cup and, and all the different ingredients, the amino acids and the proteins, and I'd shake them up in a shaker cup and I would take it to the flavor house. So I'd go to a flavor house like uh, Tastemaster and I'd say, we need to, <laughs> need to make this taste good. Well, I'd call them first, but I'd go with their food tech and work out how much of that flavor and sweetener we need to make the product taste good. So I could supply the full formulation to a contract manufacturer. And that's how I did my products. So is it like a legal format of Breaking Bad? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what, yeah. Yeah, look, to, to have that knowledge mm. on, on like, you're getting down to molecular compound and food combining. Yeah. That's heavy shit. It's all I understand. I don't really, you know, ask me to pull an engine apart and put it back together. Like, don't be impressed. Don't be. It's all I know. No, I'm, I'm intrigued by this your, is all I, I, I am. Know. I'm intrigued by your brain. Well, and that, well, and that's how I learned because I was intrigued about it. So I read my reading. It was in my bodybuilding days. I'm still in my bodybuilding days, but with three young kids, it's hard to read as much. But my reading was on books on amino acids, on nutrition, on nutrient timing. It wasn't on the latest bestseller on the murder mysteries and 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 not just on amino acids. You're looking at branch chain. You're looking at absolutely getting yeah. into the molecular compound, yeah. C6H12O6, yeah, absolutely. glucose. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I would look more at different amino acids, their pathways, and their activity, what they would actually do, and knowing what the body would do at certain times, whether it was pre workout, during the workout, after the workout, or pre sleep, I would then use amino acids to 
to amplify what it is I was doing. And it just made sense. So I'd put those together and they worked. And i got to say, you know, Tim Horwood, who started Masashi, he was like the founder, really, of amino acid technology for athletes. And he probably doesn't get enough credit, but I learned a lot from his formulations. And when I worked at Masashi, I read everything and I had access with Masashi to the 22 amino acids. So I used to pull all of them down and use them at different times in different amounts and pre-workout, intra-workout, post-workout, before bed, in the 3 a.m., I would take certain amino acids to stimulate growth hormone production. You would have been awesome on a first date, wouldn't it? <laughs> <Can> you <laughs> imagine? Young yeah. lady says, so what do you do in your time off? Well, I've looked at all the 22 amino acids and I'm doing this for you. i got to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I had that, but I still – a bit wild, a bit crazy. You know, I've always had the, you know, the different parts of my personality, but they sort of, I've been able to, I guess, regulate and modulate, you know, at different times. And what, what do you do to switch off? What, what do you do to downregulate? I love walking by the beach in the morning. We live on the back of the national park there. So at the moment it's 5.30 because the kids are up at 6.30 for school. So I, I do that to switch off. You go up over the, the sand hills? Yeah, the, the sand, sand yeah, the sand hills where the athletes run. So we just live behind there. And uh, I'll just go for a walk along there, but walk down to the beach at, um, not quite Cronulla, Wanda. Yeah. And, but just when Beautiful. I see the horizon and I smell the salt and taste the salt in the air, it's calming for me. It's so calm. Always has been. The ocean has always been calming. So I really wanted to, to live by the beach here in Sydney. Biophilia is the Latin word for the feel-good effect from nature. Right. Yeah, I need been, to It's walk been good getting nature. that because I have been here going, he works hard, he trains hard. He's got a Greek wife. He's got three kids. It's all go, go, go. It is. That drop in intensity of a morning, that's your time. That's my time. And I have to do it in the morning because, again – after work, I get home and it's it's homework, it's showers, it's dinner, mm. it's bedtime. It's, it's my, my time as well. Yeah, yeah I love right. it. It's quiet. Sometimes I take the dog. Sometimes he looks at me like I'm an idiot. And just I'd often just go for a walk. And I, I live just over the road, so I'll walk sometimes up over the harbour bridge, down around the harbour, and you see the world coming alive. And as you did that, did you know you closed your eyes and you could I could just see you smiling and just there. feeling it all. Yeah, the sun rises and you taste taste the salt in the air and if i can see the horizon whenever i've been able to see the horizon my shoulders drop the stress comes out of me i see that horizon i can see the horizon wrapping up for our interview so yes. i'm going to now go through performance uncovered nick jones i'm going to ask you 13 questions Ooh, yes rapid fire former mr australia mr australasia mr world first answer that comes to your mind question number one what is your favorite movie not the expendables uh goodwill hunting it's not your fault. Don't fuck with me. It's not your fault. Don't fuck with me, all right? Don't fuck with me, Sean. Not you. It's not your fault. Question two. What song do you know all the lyrics to? Oh, a bunch of them. Ba a bunch of songs. A bunch of songs. Cat Stevens. A lot of Cat Stevens. Okay, which one in particular? Uh, Wild World. Question three, what food can't you get enough of apart from Gentech products? <laughs> nice subtle plug there. Bodybuilding food, salmon. I love salmon. Skin on or off? On. Medium rare. Four, what book has had the biggest impact on your life? Wow. Probably Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. 
I'm intrigued by you that you read Louise Hay. And before we started mm. today, you were also into David Goggins. Yeah, that's the extremes. Yeah. Need to do both. <laughs> when I was on my last deployment, I was walking along. They said, you can't do the pain. pain. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me, son. You don't know me. So Louise Hay is quite different to David Very. Goggins. Yeah. Five, what is your most meaningful possession? Oh, can you call your family a possession? I mean, they trump everything by no comparison. Six, what does your weekly fitness routine look like? At the moment, five days a week weight training, five days a week, slow, easy cardio, walking in nature first thing in the morning. For how long of the morning? 30 minutes in the morning. I still get my, I do a lot of warm-up activation before I weight train. So mobility work, most people would call it. That, that's really important. Okay. Stretching as well? Or just so stretching, so dynamic stretching. Dynamic stretching before my workout to prepare my body for the workout. Question seven, what is your favorite failure? Oh, chronic fatigue syndrome and depression. Whether you call that a failure, really, well, I didn't work for 12 months, so the business would have definitely failed, but chronic fatigue and depression was pivotal. Mm. Question eight, what do you do to recharge? Walk by the beach in the mornings. Nine, how do you prepare for a key performance moment? And a key performance moment is a moment that matters. It could be a media interview, it could be a big sales interview, a podcast. What do you do to get in the right state? I try and make sure I have some alone time leading into it. I still MC bodybuilding contests, and they're kind of really important, emceeing live events, as you know. As long as I get some time on my own, and I did some courses at NIDA for public speaking, so you know, you do all the warm-ups, but I have a saying that I run through, and it gets, it gets those exercises done, and it's very powerful. I am ready for the next stage of my life, and I take command now. So that relates to being on the stage talking, that relates to going into fatherhood, going into business ownership, whatever. And, and I didn't say this in the intro, you've got a podcast, you've got to get it going. How good is it? I've got to get it going again. Got to get it going again. Podcast Inspired. voice, Tim. Inspired. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. I'm exhausted after putting three children to bed. Nothing keeps me up. Nothing. We've never had anyone answer that, have we? Yeah, oh, within one minute of putting my head on the pillow, I, I apologize to any insomniacs. I feel really sorry for you. Within one minute of putting my head on the pillow, I'm gone. The bodybuilder's life. Question 11. What is your number one productivity tip? Be present. Be present right now. Be present. Do your best right now. Be engaged and thankful. There was a great drummer years ago, Beat. Be engaged and thankful. If you do your best right now, that's productivity at its highest level. You don't have to worry about tomorrow what it's going to bring. It'll bring good things because you're doing good things now. 12. Who has been your most influential mentor? I'd have to say Bruce Brown. Uh, no one will know Bruce. Bruce was the closest thing to a stepfather to me for about five years. Bruce was an entrepreneur. He wasn't a nine-to-fiver. He did so much interesting stuff. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I was looking at buying a Jag, he always loved Jags, that I realized Bruce, he loved life. And, and one thing that I, I didn't never realized how much influence he had over me, but he was very happy-go-lucky. He would always say, I'd say something that was on my mind or bothering me. Ah, doesn't matter, Nikki. Doesn't matter. It's not important. Doesn't matter. And he just lived life his way. He passed away about two years ago. I did the eulogy. He's got three sons, but I did the eulogy at, at uh, his funeral because it's. they asked me to. I don't know why, but I was very, he was the guy. He was the guy. And he was not a successful millionaire, wasn't a bodybuilder, played cricket when he was young, grew up on Kangaroo Island off South Australia, but just happy-go-lucky, did things his way, and certainly wasn't a nine-to-fiver. So I have to tease out, what's successful? 
So when someone is asked, who's your mentor, I think he's really successful. So mm. it may not be the Western definition of success, mm. which is power, money, kudos. Mm. That Eastern definition or the more grounded definition of success, connection, purpose, relationships. Yeah, and that's definitely it. You know, money's never been that important to me. Money and status. I mean, and as a bodybuilder, people think you really want status and you're egotistical and I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy and enjoy my time here. As the great, um, it wasn't Stuart Wilde, it was Wayne Dyer said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I understand that. Absolutely understand that. So I want to enjoy every bit of my humanness and I want to enjoy my human experience. Question 13, what is your definition of high performance? Again, uh, like the previous answer, being present. So whether it's in the gym, my performance physically in the gym, it's fiercely, being fiercely present. And when you're squatting 200 kilos, you're not thinking about yesterday, a conversation you had. You're not worried about the future. You are so fiercely present. So when you can bring that into writing, into podcasting, into a business meeting, into product development time, into writing copy for marketing, just being so present, ultimate presence is uh, high performance. Let's go back to the start of the conversation. There was a critical junction in your life. You could have gone either way. When the judge sentenced you to 12 months and then he paused for that three or four seconds and you had all those thoughts flashing through your head and then he gave you a good behavior bond for 18 months. Mm -hmm. What do you reckon that judge would be thinking now if he listened to this interview, if he saw what you're doing right now? I'm glad I didn't put him in the slammer. <laughs> <laughs> you got a I'm bit. You glad got a bit, I messed with him for those few seconds. You got a bit teary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I it's. I think I've seen so many tragic stories. You know, not just from housing commission, from bodybuilding. I've seen so many. You know, and as you get older, you do. You know, we see a lot of people really going off the rails, and and uh, I think I've had such a rich life darkness, light. I've been exposed to so much and I'm, I'm just so grateful that things have worked out the way they have. And I, I'm constantly, it's something, it's a practice that I do and I recommend everybody to do is each morning before I go for my walk is I do think about all the things I'm grateful for. I'm not specifically religious to any one religion, but I, but I pray every morning and I give thanks every morning for this human experience for my wellness, for my health, for my family. Uh, and there's some mornings I give thanks for my home and the roof over my head and the appliances that keep my food fresh and allow me to cook my food and the sewerage and the clean water. So I get a bit, that's probably a real Louise Hay thing is the gratitude, but that attitude of gratitude and reminding yourself, and it is a discipline that you must practice because it's easier to stay in bed under the warm doona for that extra half an hour and get up and have a coffee when the kids are screaming and trying to make brekkie and and it's just the worst way to start the day you just get pushed around by the day and you're just reactive for the day instead of being proactive i i don't always reflect when you've asked me i've reflected so i've brought up some emotion but um i'm constantly grateful that things have worked out the way they have because they worked out pretty bloody well so far mate and i expect if I do my best work today and, and I'm authentic and uh, I expect tomorrow to be just as good, if not better. I've loved today. Mm, like I didn't know where we would really go. Like I, I often start at the start of the podcast, here's a rough frame, but we, we, we've stayed to somewhat structure, but we've danced. 
I love the pulse and the depth that you can go really hard on the 22 branch chain amino acids and mm. really hard and train, freaking mm. crazy. Mm. But then you drop, and I, and I saw that a few times, you, you drop, there's the intense and the drop, it's the pulsing. And I love the authenticity. And, and, and thank you for being so open mm, about the Fountain of Youth, which is a topic that is really swept under the carpet in this mm. country. So I really hope this educates a lot of people to be informed, to be curious. Mm. I think the judge made the right decision. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Come here, give me a big hug. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. We're back in the studio. We've had some time to digest this. Dr. Tom Buckley, welcome. You're going to do this reflection with me. We needed some time. It's a two-hour podcast, but I also wanted some time to really listen to the content, and I wanted you to listen to it with your scientific lens as well as the head of the Stride Stronger Research Institute. So I'll, I'll throw straight to you your thoughts on the interview with Nick. Oh, fantastic interview, Andrew. I think I wrote down five or six different points. I mean, the first one I wrote down is that you know, I could see that you have a lot of admiration for Nick. And you know, when and it came out in the interview when you were preparing for that photo shoot, because I think I must have asked you a million times. I even asked you recently, you know, what did you do for that photo shoot? You know, and I can see now that you had some really good mentors, some good guidance. But just like Nick. I, I wanted what he's having, <laughs> the, the natural way. And it was, it was the bodybuilder lifestyle on eating regularly, like good protein, lean veggies and performance carbs, lifting heavy, like really dialing up the weights and lifting more regularly, and also the recovery and sleep. And even since doing that interview, I've been bloody sore. You know, we spoke about how Tony, my partner, said to me recently, have you been doing deltoids? My shoulders have been so freaking sore. I think what, what that interview has done is it's rekindled for me that, you know, that desire to stay young, to stay lean, and to lift a bit heavier. So yeah, I'm bloody sore since doing that interview. Yeah, I, I, I associate with that because I was really intrigued with a few things. I mean, I think one, what an engaging guest what a person who can speak and i wrote down a few things around that i i got this impression that he's very content as a person content with who he is his backstory is very engaging um i think a great advert for what sport can do for you you know as you grow up a real advert for you keeping a focus through sport that then drives accomplishment into business real content person and i don't know nick at all i've never met him but i got that perspective from it i agree with it that he's the passion is infectious men women children animals i'd say mammals swarm to nick it's just his passion and his enthusiasm even up the road where i get my regular smoothie from mark who runs that like when nick walks in they just they love him He's just got this infectious attitude about him and approach. Yeah, and I can see that because a, a very engaging character, no real edge to him. And I found that really amazing because you and I have worked with a lot of elite accomplished athletes and some can often have an edge to them. They can often be, you know, that there's often that, that edge is what got them there. And I just didn't get that feel of that edge. And I thought that's really fascinating, but I would imagine when he's in the zone, you know, like you you discussed in the podcast with uh, boxers, you know, once you get into zone, you, you move your mindset, which you've got to do to be at that, that elite world level. His responses were so considered. Uh, and I was really taken by that because he 
very much acknowledged a lot of what you were saying and then there was always pauses for considered responses and I would imagine he'd be a fantastic mentor to people because I got the impression he was actually really listening. He wasn't busted to get his words in. He was considerate. He'd often heard him saying, yeah, and then there'd be a pause. And then he would give his perspective. And I, I really appreciate that. I, I, I always appreciate that in athletes, in experts in any topic. I always appreciate that they stop, listen, consider, and then give a considered opinion. Mm, thank you for adding that. Let's yeah. reflect on that a little bit before I... I'm trying to practice what Nick does, see what I did there. Jokes aside, it it was a very present interview and it it was two hours and it felt like half an hour because you're just so engaged in the content and the information. The other factor, you know, I said his passion, it was the science. Mm. And and I said to you, you know, with your experience, with your multiple degrees, what are your thoughts on this? And when he started breaking apart the 22 branch chain amino acids, and just talking about that, even understanding the difference between anabolic steroids and human growth hormone and peptides and how it all works, there's just so much depth and knowledge there around longevity, around aging. He's a constant student of this topic. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with anything he was saying. I mean, he was presenting his experience, his perspective, his trial and error, what works for him. And I think he presented that in a very logical and scientific way. I really appreciated what he said around, you know, the use of products, whether it be peptides or whether it be pharmaceuticals, and the abuse of them. And I think that's a very important message for young athletes. I mean, we know, you know, at that pointy end of athletics that you are looking for those one percenters when you're at that elite level. And uh, I think, you know, it's very, very important what he talked about, how you use products in the context of your training uh, versus abuse them. I think the sport and the art of what he does sounds to me this is the normal in this competition. This is how people prepare themselves. But what I took from that, because it's very easy to lead with that conversation around PEDs, but what I actually took from it was that there was many levers here. You know, the discussion on sleep was really, really important. The discussion on nutrition, recovery. And then I was really intrigued with the training philosophy of working one set of muscles once a week. I really hadn't appreciated that. And really blasting the living daylights out of it, like three yeah. exercises, and generally starting with big compounds, so compound you know, multiple joints, and then coming down to singular isolation groups. So, and it is, it's it's going hard, but it's allowing, yeah, a lot more recovery than I first thought too, as I said in the interview. Yeah, it reminds me, um, Andrew, you and I were running around 400 meter tracks around the same time in our life. You were a few years younger than me, so I was probably doing it a few years more, longer than you or earlier than you. But, you know, we all, we'd be down there and we might be there doing a 90 minute session and the sprinters would be there for two, three hours. But they always seem to be walking and chatting. And it's the same philosophy of massive effort followed by long recovery. I think that's a really important message for people. I I often myself suffer from that in the gym where I may rush through and don't really get to the heavy weight and then I wonder why I don't get the same results. So I think there were some important messages in there. But, you know, the performance intelligence around what to do, when to do it, the science of what he's doing, having worked it out through trial and error. But very, very importantly, 
also teaming up with the right people, the right guidance, the right scientist, the right medical practitioner to do it as to do it safely within his sport and to do it in a way that is less likely to do damage to him in the long run. Mm. And you touched on before those areas, so it's the bodybuilder lifestyle. And, and we don't want the whole lead on this to be, oh yeah, a lot of bodybuilders take performance enhancing drugs. The bodybuilder lifestyle is lifting heavy weights, eating really clean, healthy food and cutting out all the processed rubbish crap and then recovering properly. So sleep, recovery, restoration in between. But I'm gonna add a fourth one. I was reflecting this swimming this morning, just you know, before doing this interview. It's the passion, and I led with that. So yeah. I think the bodybuilder lifestyle is also that energy, that passion, that zest to keep doing that for years and years. And coming to the bodybuilder lifestyle in inverted commas late for me, you know, coming from an endurance lifestyle where we flog the shit out of ourselves, we're always tired, we look like we're hungry, and we need a blanket, right? So I've jumped on it. I, I'm a big fan of that that healthy, natural bodybuilder lifestyle. So it's really yeah. influenced me over the last five years. And Nick's influence in that through Dan Bradley has now influenced thousands of people because I'm talking about this on stages, podcasting, coaching, all the work we do with executive performance. That was my other reflection this morning, mate, swimming, that Nick has actually had a, a bigger effect on a lot more people than I think we've acknowledged through his, effect, through his impact on me. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that he's an engaging person, uh, considered a listener and a role model. I mean, his backstory of getting a, a sentence of one year, I mean, ha had that happened, you know, we might be having a completely different conversation or perhaps we wouldn't even be having a conversation with Nick or about Nick today. So I think, you know, and, and the fact that he owns that, he's transparent about that, it's part of who he is, he's comfortable with that. I can see that he's influenced thousands of people. And, and certainly for me, listening to the interview, I forgot about the scientist in me. I was totally engaged in, in Nick, in his journey and his experience. And it is his journey and his experience. And I think it's not necessarily something you would prescribe to somebody say, right now, this is how you become Mr. Universe. You know, everybody has their own journey, but his is very engaging and very, very interesting. I started this episode with a disclaimer to delineate between the work I do in sport around mental skills and my evolution is in strength and conditioning. So in sport, there is just no discussion at all around performance enhancing drugs. It's totally illegal and it's bent. But I wanted to, to open up the curiosity and the performance intelligence. And I was cautious about doing this interview and I ran it by you as well. And I'm glad we dug into this. I'm glad we are having these conversations, but I just need to really be conscious in sport, you don't have these conversations. It's called cheating. But as you said before, in bodybuilding, it's openly known and accepted that people take performance enhancing drugs. It was really interesting to get that perspective. It was, and it reminded me, it was very interesting to get that perspective. And I, re I actually fully appreciated that, which I hadn't before, before I listened to the interview. It reminded me a lot of, you know, other sports, namely cycling that's had a, a history of performance enhancing. And I remember speaking to a, one of the physicians in one of the big teams one time, and he's saying to me that essentially his job was to keep these cyclists on the bike and keep them healthy while they do it, because at that peak end, sport is not healthy. You know, and so, I, so, so I, he was saying that his job 
by giving them exogenous substances was to keep them healthy. Was to keep them healthy and keep keep them from uh, getting into the, the having the risk factors that would trigger or bring on such a disease. And, and it was a really insightful insightful perspective on it from a medical practitioner's perspective. He saw his job as keeping these athletes healthy and able to do what they do. Of course, of course, you have to appreciate that the way they're training and the volume of training is what puts them into that risk zone. And his job was to get them out of the risk zone physiologically. And I, it really changed my thinking from a medical angle. But of course, you've got to match that up with the what is the rules of the day in that sport. And the ethical you know? angle in that sport as well. And the ethical angle. And then you've got to mirror that up with, is that how you want the teenagers preparing and, and Nick speaks speaks very well about that from the from his sport, from the perspective of a, a young teenager. Perhaps they have the endocrine system to create those naturally if you train the body properly and stuff. Whereas I think as we age, we get decrements in our endocrine system, and that was a very interesting conversation too because. You and I have often talked about, you spoke about in the podcast around living to 100, I think 120 is probably what you really want to live to, and how you might, what you might need to do to do that. If you look at the science in of longevity, it, you know, it is about optimizing physiology. It is about very, very similar principles to how you prevent disease and the same principles to how you optimize performance in sport. And many of those levers you can do through behavioral aspects, and some of them you may need some help. Well, Dr. Peter Atia in his best-selling book talks about chasing longevity, two key factors. One is VO2 max, getting your heart rate up and training that cardio capacity. And the second one is lean body mass and, and again that bodybuilder lifestyle they're doing short sharp high intensity reps and then also building lean body mass so yeah lots of science lots of practical experience and lots of engagement coming coming together now we could do a reflection almost as long as the podcast conscious <laughs> let's not talk too much about this we could do another podcast on the reflections on the podcast so final reflections yeah, far engaging, very, very engaging interview. Very good to hear Nick's story, his backstory, hear how he has performed to the level he has and how he currently trains. Very interesting conversation. I appear, I really appreciated transparency in, in, in his sport and how things are done in his sport. I think we would always have to say that if you can do these things in a natural way, that is the optimal way, it's the lowest risk way. The message I got from his podcast was that 99% of it is hard work, consistency, hard work, pulling levers, and that last 1% in his sport, he was able to disclose how he did it, but that wouldn't be how you would do it in other sports. Yeah. Let's wrap up. Let's go live that bodybuilder lifestyle. Go eat clean. Let's make a time to lift some heavy shit. Tom, thanks for that review. And thanks thanks for guidance on, especially when we get into the deep, pointy science bits. And I was cautious on this. And thank you for you know, helping me explore this topic. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, a great interview. Well done.